Welcome, welcome to another DOS Game Club episode. This is number 34, if I'm correct, which is about our August game, which was UFO Enemy Unknown, also known as XCOM UFO Defense. Florian is sadly not joining us, our regular co-host, because he's moving house, actually. Uh, he's, he's got a new job in a new town, and it's all... He's also, also going on holiday, I think, so I don't know, everything is crazy with that guy right now so yeah he couldn't join us but i also don't think he played this game a whole lot so yeah it's just how it is um but that doesn't mean i'm going to talk about this game alone at all uh actually we are with the four of us in total so joining me is first of all josef hello hey super cool that you join us again this is your third podcast i think Fourth? I think fourth. Fourth. Right. Yeah, so super regular. Cool that you could join us again for this one. And also joining us again uh, is Tyler. Hello. Hello from the United States. Yep, down south Louisiana. Isn't that like the French region of... Uh... It is. Wow. It certainly is. So maybe we can do this one in French? Uh, yeah, if you want me to just speak French-sounding gibberish, that's fine. <laughs> well, Josef, Josef can speak French. So, And actually, uh, the, the, the fourth guy joining us is Matthew, which is a new member. Hello. Hey, hi, Matthew. I, I'm afraid I'm Canadian, but I don't actually speak French either. Ah, oh, I was hoping that you would be like... Because you're Canadian, you could also speak French. I, you know, I can't speak French, so this whole French <laughs> thing doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> Betrayal. Oh, well. Yes, I also go by Canon Geek Online. Right, exactly. And Tyler has the Corgi Butts nickname, right? Yep. So, uh, yeah, that's all our handles, which you can also find on the forums and the website and everything. Um, yeah, super nice that you could join us for, for XCOM which uh, we played in August. Yeah, I think we should dive straight into, right? Uh, why not?
So starting with uh, who actually suggested this game, I went back uh, to our suggestion forums and I looked up who suggested it. And it was this member called uh, Surskid. But sadly, he I think he posted this in two, 2017 or something. And then he was never... He never returned to the forums ever again. So, yeah, sadly, if if you're if you're listening to this, Sirs Kit, please come back. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, we also got a suggestion through a user voice messages actually during the Blackthorn podcast. That's that's true. That's when it was mentioned again. We got a voice message um, mentioning that we should play XCOM, and well, then we went back and and actually it was suggested on our forums. So that's when we thought, okay, let's let's just do it. Let's go for it. So uh, starting with you, Matthew, uh, when did you first play this game? Uh, back when I was in high school, which would be sometime in the early two thousands, I uh, found a demo of terror from the deep online Hmm. and i played that and got my butt kicked and even when (laughs) i won there was so many ai problems with that they'd kill like 14 out of 15 aliens and just could not find the one by one room the last one was hiding in and then i played it i found some open source remakes i played ufo alien invasion one of the open source remakes a bunch for a few years and then eventually when it came up on steam i bought the original and was like I'm going to beat this and then I'll do the more modern graphical ones mm-hmm. and bought Xenonauts, bought, you know, owned the sequel and just have never played them because they've never actually beaten the original. <laughs> oh, but you tried. Yes. <laughs> That's This got. time it's more just because I screwed up and uh, let too many supply missions go through and just got sick of playing it after three days straight. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's definitely a challenging game. I mean, yeah, I ca- I can't fault you for not beating this game because it's well, we'll talk about this more, but it's 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 quite hard to get into really. So, uh yeah, can't fault you for that. Did did you play it before, Joseph? Yeah, I played it. If I remember correctly, somewhere around the late 90s, I would say. Okay. I remember that it was probably the first game I played that was actually translated in Czech. Oh, so, because you're from Czech, uh, Czechoslovakia. Yeah, yeah, originally. Right. So it was uh, some of the tra- translations were a bit weird because, of course, at that time you just translate words, not actually the whole sentences. Mm. But yeah, I, I remember playing it on my old uh, Pentium. And it it was like I really got into the game. I I, I of course I was a kid, so I cheated all the time. <laughs> infinite money, so yeah, I didn't feel the difficulty that much. I was like, hmm, why do people say this is difficult? It's so easy. <laughs> and of course, later you discover. I've so. never found money to be one of the things that made the game hard for me. Well, yeah, it's mostly just guys getting their asses kicked by the aliens, right? So yeah. yeah. Uh, but I guess the money helps getting better stuff and and yeah <laughs> and more guys when they die exactly yeah exactly. why did you do you, oh because it was translated that's I w- I was gonna ask why why did you pick it up then because by the late nineties this game was already out for a few years I think but yeah obviously the translation took some time I I think I, when I had my first computer it must have been something like nineteen ninety four or nineteen ninety five mm-hmm. and then. I, you know, like back at that time, I didn't have internet, so the games kind of like they f- <laughs> happened to 
arrived to my computer. I honestly don't remember <laughs> how. Somebody gave it to me because, or, or maybe it was on some CD. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, so it was not when it came out, of course. Yeah. Yeah, but still cool that you played the original more or less. Well, in the in the sort of time frame that it was, uh, because I, I'm not actually sure when all the sequels and stuff came out. I, I guess that also started by the late '90s. So, um, the Terror from the Deep I know came out within a year of the original, or about a year later, because they wow. didn't change the engine at all. It's right. basically just like a skin, and mo- it's basically a mod pack for it. Yeah. Okay. Now, Tyler, I know that you played this game when it came out, didn't you? I sure did. A lot. Yeah, I, I played it quite a bit. Uh, I we had a you know a kind of a crappy slow computer for a lot lot of years, a Tandy one thousand, and we never got like a you know a two eighty six or a three eighty six, and so our computer was way behind the times until I hit sixth grade, and my dad bought us a four eighty six with a double speed CD ROM drive, and we were just boom, you know, live living large there on that technology curve, and um. Nice. I got a PC Gamer uh, demo CD that had a demo on it. And uh, I just fell in love with the demo. Uh, the, the demo is almost a little bit of unique fun because it, it always puts you in this one mission and the map is always the same. Huh. I think maybe the alien positions were kind of randomized. But you got like two guys with the regular guns regular rifles, and then a couple guys with laser guns, and then a couple guys. So you really had a very limited, uh, you know, armory kind of type thing. So you would focus on, you know, these are the laser guys. So you send out the guys with the crappy rifles, like as spotters, right? Mm -hmm. And I would come up with all these, uh, it was snake men and chastlids, or whatever you call them, chrysalids, the guys that turn you into zombies. Right. And it was a nighttime mission, and I remember I was, I didn't know line of sight was a thing, right? Like, you know, I'm just playing the game. And I remember it's turning, a thing. Yeah, turn, turning around and finding one of the chrysalid guys, like, you know, two squares behind me and just be like, oh my God, like, where did he come from? Holy shit. And, cool. And so I, uh, you know, like any kid does, begged my parents for it. And, uh, my mom was cute and picked it up for me. And, uh, I actually played it a lot, quote unquote, two player. Uh, a buddy of mine really liked it and he got it uh, for his computer. So we were both playing it. And when we would visit each other's houses, we were in sixth grade. So we could sit side by side in like one of our dad's computer chairs. Yeah. And we would go through the roster, you know, and like name some characters after ourselves. <laughs> and then like we would just each control our own guys yeah. in the missions, like passing the mouse back and forth. Aww. And dude, Talk about fun. Yeah, that's awesome. That really does sound like a lot of fun. The story with all three of you, I hear, is just you got into the game and then you couldn't let go anymore because the game is just so enticing. And that seems to be the thing with XCOM, that everyone on Twitter as well and on the forums, people keep saying, you know, once you this game drags you in, then you, you just can't let go. It's just so uh, captivating. Yeah. One one thing that I now remember that like the I don't know if you guys remember but I still remember the name from my first game of my best guy at the end of the game it was Hans Zander who was a guy because at the time the game didn't have all of the patches so he had like 250 time 
100% chance of mind control. So he basically mind controlled 10 guys in a turn. Wow. So yeah, I still remember his one name. <laughs> you know, I wish I had fond memories like that, but I, I don't because I never played this game before. And it's weird because it's totally my sort of thing. And, and well, I was hugely into games in 94 when this game came out. And I, I don't know. I just don't know what happened. I missed it completely. Never heard of it. Never seen it. Never played it. Just passed me by. So uh, actually now this, this last month was the first time that I actually played it. So uh, yeah, I hope you guys can, can educate me a little bit and, and, and well... Take me along and, and tell me what the game is all about because I only really dabbled a little bit into it and I did like it a lot and I play it quite a lot last month. But well, you can't really learn what this game is about by just playing it a few hours. I mean, it, it's really quite extended and the game goes quite deep. So, yeah. To be fair, I think I learned more about how this game actually works in the last month <laughs> than I did in all those years on and off playing it. Because I was like, okay, this is going to be the time I'm sitting there, I'm just reading the entire wiki to actually understand right. the mechanics because a lot of them are very <laughs> unintuitive. Yeah, that is kind of true. And I think also because obviously in more recent years, I had heard of the game also because of all the more recent sequels that came out and stuff. So I, I did launch it a few times. I mean, being interested in DOS games and learning of a new DOS game to me, it was kind of interesting. But I never really managed to get anywhere because like what you said, Matthew, it is... It is massively unintuitive, actually. I mean, the UI is sort of difficult and everything. I don't know. It's just there's no tooltips. There's nothing to help you out. There's no tutorial. So actually, the game is quite difficult to get into. Well, not even that. I never found the interface that bad. What got me is some of the mechanics aren't... I mean, back in the day, I'm if I bought in not been playing a demo or not been playing the Steam version... Um, Stuff like how exactly how reaction fire works, mm -hmm. um, exactly how intercepting things work, um, research, all that stuff, manufacturing. There's all these systems that aren't really explained in game. Yeah. So if you haven't read the manual, and I I still haven't, so I don't know how well it explained this stuff. You know, there's all these systems in game that are never explained to you, and they're kind of needed to get anywhere yeah that's it's a really tough game how did you manage this tyler uh, tons and tons of trial and error and <laughs> uh you know you talked about reading the manual i don't particularly remember reading the manual uh i mean and a lot of the stuff this came as a surprise to me like i remember you know picking up an alien gun and just being like oh i can't shoot this that's too bad and then I'm just I'm doing research and I don't know why I don't know what it's doing exactly and then I remember just like picking up an alien gun later in the game and I'm like oh my god I can shoot it now this is amazing and I just picked up the heavy plasma and started gunning everything down it was a whole new world but yeah it was a lot a lot a lot of trial and error yeah but you usually I mean as long as you patrol one area enough you can keep yourself in the game even if like every other country in the game hates you And uh, you get enough uh, stuff from the aliens to sell to kind of keep yourself in the money. And yeah, it's just like I was kind of describing earlier, like, you know, learning about line of sight, you know, <laughs> just 
turn around and like, oh, I, I guess there's people there. You know, I guess I have to look at things. Like it was all, it was all just yeah. playing. But you know, it was back then. You could play for as long as you wanted. You know, your parents right. go to work or something, or and you're just home on the weekend. Maybe a babysitter's there, and they're just like, man, I love this kid. I just set him in front of the computer, and he just sits there for eight hours, and I don't have to do anything except give him a sandwich. Like. Yeah, kids are like that, aren't they? They just put in insane amount of time without making any progress, and they don't care. They just keep on playing. I mean, I was like that, definitely. I I got lucky this month in that I had, in September, I had a bunch of traveling to do via bus. So I could just take my laptop and sit on the bus and play for four hours at a time. Wow, that's a long bus ride. Vancouver to Seattle. Well, lucky you. Um, I think at this point into the podcast, we should explain the game a little bit to people who might be listening and not completely familiar with the game or not familiar at all. So who thinks they can explain the game like in in big terms a bit? I could give that a try. Yeah, let's go for it. So you start the game and you're given a world map and told to pick where you build a base. Mm-hmm. And then you build, you click somewhere on the map. Uh, I usually put mine in Eastern Europe. Okay. And then um, that's got like a radar radius around it. And eventually either a terror mission or some sort of an alien screwing with the world mission will pop up. Or you'll see a, a little dot representing a UFO fly across your map. And you can send out interceptors to try and shoot the alien down or send out soldiers to go do with that mission. And if you shoot the alien UFO down, you go send soldiers to investigate the crash site. And once you arrive there, it switches to a a tactical view. Mm -hmm. And then you have all your soldiers in a plane and there'll be terrain. You move them around and line of sight is really important. And your goal is to wipe out all the aliens without losing all of your people. And it's um, uh, all about very careful positioning. And there's a lot of random fire factors, so it's kind of about risk mitigation. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, it's a very careful, slow-paced battle simulator. But while you're taking things very slowly, the aliens are still walking around across the map. So if, if you take too long in a terror mission, all the civilians will get killed. Right. And the host country will be mad at you. Exactly. And then once you're back on the battlescape, you have to manage stuff like building more bases, researching the alien artifacts you bring back, building more defenses, uh, and a lot of inventory and logistics management. Right. It'd be what I spend most of my time doing is, uh, oh, one of my bases is I can't build any more weapons there. I have to you know, transfer stuff to other bases and sell things. Exactly. Because the game is called XCOM, and, and you actually run... XCOM. Yes. That's basically the game, right? So this is a, a an organization, an international organization to fight aliens. Is that it? Yes. Sorry, I should have given the higher overview. Um, it's very much based on 90s UFO zeitgeist culture. Mm-hmm. The 90s were kind of the height of the government's keeping things up from us, conspiracy theories. You had stuff like the X-Files, which heavily inspired this game. Right. Delta Green and dark matter in the role-playing world 
all of these kind of UFOs, they're out there kind of thing. The Area 51 stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah, the Roswell alien stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. the alien designs yeah. in this game take a lot from that. Uh, I know the Snake Men are based on a certain conspiracy theory, and the Sectoids are based on the, the little gray man. Exactly. Yeah. So there's these aliens, and they're uh, a threat to Earth, I suppose. I, I Actually, I think there's a little backstory. There is a little backstory. Yeah, I'm not completely sure um, if this story is mentioned in the manual because there is there is an intro sequence to this game, but it doesn't really uh, <laughs> go into detail. It's it's really a cool intro. It's like this. It tells you everything you need to know. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Aliens landing must be shot by machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's a really cool. It's like a, a little anime style. It's, I don't know. It's I, kinda cool. I saw you that in the notes and I don't, I, I'm an anime fan to anime. I see very much American superhero comics. Right. Yeah. I think it's more something they had in mind that they were going for than what actually came out mm. as a result. But anyway, they were trying to go for this really cool style. Uh, and it, it is. And I, it kind of works. Very it is cool. cool. Yeah. So it's a cool intro. But it doesn't go into a lot of detail. So I don't know where this backstory is actually mentioned. I think it's in the manual. And there's, uh, it's, there's like a one-page backstory that's copied over onto the uh, UFOpedia wiki. Right. If anyone wants to read right. it. Yeah, I think you can get it when you go to the entry for XCOM actually in Ufopedia and have like some sort of summary of why you exist mm. as a company. Oh, that's a good point. There's actually an in-game encyclopedia which uh, you can read and explains stuff. So I think that's the only help that the game provides is this list of articles, right? And, and some of them are have mistakes in them which are highly misleading. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. So anyway, the the story is that uh, the game is set in the near future in 1998. <laughs> so it was set 20 years ago in the future. Uh, and there's reports of UFO sightings and aliens are attacking. And uh, I guess as a result of this, nations are coming together to discuss what to do and eventually decide to form an organization to combat these aliens. And that's when XCOM is founded. So then you, the player, takes control of, of the organization and yeah, you basically just have to run it, I suppose. That's the game. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's it. So it, it, it sort of takes place in two views, like you mentioned, Matthew. Yep, the Geoscape and the Battlescape. Right. So the Geoscape is like Google Earth, I guess. <laughs> it's like just the world. Uh, and you can zoom in and out and rotate. It's, it's actually quite nice. It's all 3D. And that's where you do the big decisions, right? Like ba building bases and managing in the, the, the diplomacy, stuff like that. Buying inventory, I don't know. All the all the big decisions are made there, and then the other view is the the actual fighting the aliens, which is all zoomed in on a specific area where you control the individual soldiers and what they do and stuff. So yeah, it's all about these two these two uh, what do you call them? Like zoom levels or something? I don't know. It's these two levels of interaction. That's yeah. I guess that's also what makes the game so captivating is that you go between these all the time. So one moment you're you're worried about an alien being two feet away from you and the, the other moment you're worrying about Brazil not funding enough. 
Interestingly enough, the two views are separate executable files. So if you are running this on DOS original, then you will see like your CRT going back to text mode and then switching to graphics mode and degaussing all of the time. So it's uh, <laughs> it's quite obvious that it's like two separate modes in the game. Oh, wow. It's actually two programs. That's cool. So um, there's a lot to talk about. So I, because I'm new to the game and you're all way more veteran than I am. So I, I feel that you guys should take me through this a little bit. I guess the game starts on the map, right? So maybe that's the first point where we should talk about what you can do. And you, Matthew already mentioned that you can build a base. That's kind of an important decision right there, where you build your base, right? Yeah. So why does that matter? Uh, so as, there's this Council of Funding Nations. And essentially, when you're starting out, they determine how much funding you get. And if they get too many alien invasions, they fund you less. And uh, if you defend them badly enough, they'll sign a deal with the aliens and back out. Wow. So you, you want to protect the people giving you the most money. And in most games, uh, that would be Europe, several countries in Europe, cumulatively, or the United States. Hmm. So most players build their first base somewhere in the continental United States or southern Canada. And then your radar will cover all of North America or somewhere in Eastern Europe, so your radar will cover Europe, uh, the Middle East, and parts of Russia. Right. They'll defend your most money. Yeah, because you can only detect aliens around your base, right? Yep. So there are two ways, actually, to detect aliens. One is bases, and the other is that your planes, like your ships, also have radar. And if you have like this graph view where you can see actually where the activity is, like uh, let's say Northern America, it's it's quite coarse, but you can actually send like a Sky Ranger, like the long range uh, vessel to some place and let it patrol. And then you can also find uh, UFOs around it, which is not often very useful. But uh, if you have uh, some nation which is really in peril of getting infiltrated, then it's it's actually quite useful. Hmm. Uh, the other thing which I learned like last week was that you can't detect enemy bases with your base's radar. You need a ship there that is in patrol mode. Oh. So I thought because I constantly had planes flying over Africa that any bases there would be detected. Yeah. Until I finally hit patrol on one and then two bases, it sits there for like 10 seconds and two bases pop up. Wow. I'm like, oh. Okay. But that's actually a pretty cool aspect of this game is that it feels um well sort of like the 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 aliens the enemy they're they're basically doing the same thing that you are doing. They're they're also ba- building bases. They're also flying planes all over the world. So mm-hmm. in a way I I don't know I, it was kind of surprising to me to learn that it's all procedural as well so it's not uh pre-scripted or anything so it feels really like a cool challenge that that this AI is doing more or less the same things that you are doing and well it's uh the the battle is on right so I don't know it's it's kind of a cool part of this game the whole enemy base stuff and that they're all well, I, at one time, I remember I was following an alien uh, UFO, and they actually flew to their base. And then, well, I don't know if that is how I found the base or that I found it before, but I was like, whoa, these guys are just doing what I'm doing. That's, yeah, mind blown. Yeah, absolutely. 
It is actually possible because there are like the one there is one type of UFO which is the large uh, supply vessel like supply ship mm-hmm. and this always flies from base to somewhere and then back to the base and that's actually how you can find the base is if you see a large UFO landing several mm-hmm. times on the same spot you are sure that there is a base over there. Yeah, that's cool. what I messed up is I thought that because I was shooting all these down I didn't notice they were always going to the same spots and so I was just doing endless crashed supply vessel missions and that's what kind of burned me out and made me at the end of september it's like nope i've played this enough for now mm, yeah. was doing that same mission over and over yeah yeah i didn't know any of these fine details as a kid you know it was just <laughs> like if i just noticed that there was a ton of ufo activity in a certain area like after i discovered that patrolling would find bases like i just kind of watched for where you know looks like a lot of ships were flying around go over there and patrol like yeah I don't know the exact mechanic of look for the large ship, you know, where it's landing exactly. But, you know, you could figure it out just through, you know, intuition. Yeah. And and the ships that are, uh, they've been mentioned a few times, I think that it's, it's important to talk a little bit about these ships. Because a, a huge part of the game is actually managing your, your ships and what they're doing, right? So you start the game with two types of planes, I think. Yep. Sky Ranger and Interceptor. Exactly. So what, what are these? Yeah, so the interceptor is your basic like jet that can wield weapons, and uh, with that you can shoot UFOs down. The disadvantage of this ship at the beginning, especially, is that it's slower than most of the UFOs. Mm-hmm. So if the aliens don't want to get caught, they can just escape. And the Sky Ranger uh, is your like troop transport. It cannot have arms like weapons, but you can fit soldiers and tanks in it and uh, go to missions. So usually you use interceptors to shoot down a UFO. And then bring your soldiers over with a Sky Ranger and go on a mission. Exactly. Did any of you find the user interface for the interceptors hard to use, or is it just me? Because once once an interceptor is close to a UFO, you get this little dialogue screen with a bunch of buttons, but none of the buttons have any labels. So. Uh, how do you know what to press? <laughs> you press them at the random and then you see. Actually, so you have four buttons, if I recall. You have the follow. So this means that the ship will just follow the UFO and uh, don't attack, mm-hmm. which uh, at the beginning it seemed useless, but it's actually very useful because this allows you to attack the same UFO with several ships at the same time. Mm. Then you have the prudent attack, which means that your ship will stay at the range of your longest range weapon. Oh. A standard attack, which is that you will get to the range of all of your weapons. And the aggressive attack, which means that you will stick to the UFO as close as possible. Right. At some point of the game, these combats become very easy because there is one weapon which has basically unlimited shots. It's the plasma cannon. And it has longer range than any of the UFOs with exception of the largest battleship. Hmm. Once you have this weapon, you can shoot out basically any UFO without any risks of getting damage. Right. So it's only really in the beginning that this is a big challenge. Yeah. How on earth did you figure out which button does what, though? As you push them, because I figured this out the same way, uh, I think. As you push them, you can see your craft getting closer and further to the enemies. So I didn't realize until I read the wiki, as I said, like three weeks ago, that it was based on your weapons ranges. I just knew cautious attack Mm. seemed to be the safe attack that might let them get away. The middle attack was the one that I'd always push because it seemed normal. Same. (laughs) And then aggressive attack, there seemed to be no reason to ever push. Right. Yeah. And there's the little diagram of how far your ship is from the enemy 
and the little lines on it for your various weapons. Right. So, yeah, the flow is basically you go in with the interceptors, and once the UFO is down, then you go in with the Sky Ranger, right? And that's all, with, which has all the guys inside. And that's the one that actually moves you to the other view of the game, the, the tactical combat screen. Indeed. Yeah. So, yeah, what else are you doing? I mean, surely there's stuff to do at the base, right? I mean, you can actually build the base, I suppose. I mean, build facilities there. Yeah, the first thing you got to do is you got to get more living quarters because you need to hire more scientists so your research goes faster. You need to make sure you have some spare soldiers. So usually the first thing I always built was a living quarters and uh, maybe another laboratory eventually because I like my research to go real fast. Mm -hmm. And one thing that's kind of interesting uh, is when your base is actually attacked, it loads, you know, your base exactly as you have built it kind of thing. So However you build your base is how it'll show up on those maps. And I always found that to be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. And it's why the default base it builds you is the worst death trap you could possibly design. <laughs> why? Why is that? The aliens can only enter through the access shaft mm-hmm. and the hangars. And it puts the access shaft in the dead center of your base and the three hangars in a triangle. So anywhere you build, pretty much every new thing you build will be directly exposed to the aliens. <laughs> Whereas if you like uh, the standard build I've seen on like advice and walkthroughs and stuff is build like all three of your hangers in a vertical column, then your access lift as the only connection between that and the rest of your base. And then you can just send all your soldiers to guard that one point rather than, oh my God, there's aliens in like literally every square <laughs> of this map. Yeah. That seems sensible, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never did anything like that just because I've, you can eventually build enough, you know, defenseless things that like aliens never even get into your base. It almost kind of becomes a totally moot point, I think, in terms of how you build your base. Because as long as you put enough plasma defenses in there and you get those about the time that they start actually trying to attack your bases, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about that at all in the beginning. In the end, the base attacks don't really matter that much because everyone just dies as long as you build like three or four plasma defenses, if I recall. Okay. So I always felt. And the magnetic shield. Yeah, the, the graviton thing that pushes them away and every, every defense gets two shots. Uh, and you mentioned you, you build extra labs because research is important. And that actually unlocks uh, other buildings as well, doesn't it? Other buildings, other weapons, lets you use the aliens' weapons, and eventually, I never got this far, but eventually better aircraft. Right, exactly. Yeah, I didn't get that far either. I got that far this month. I managed to build a a Lightning, I think they're called, which are just a fancy interceptor. And uh, the middle craft, the middle, there's three crafts that you can learn to build. Uh, One of them is just a fancy interceptor. Uh, One of them is kind of like a, hybrid interceptor and troop transport, but it doesn't have a ramp or anything, a big ramp, so you can't take tanks or grav tanks. And then the other one is the Avenger, I believe it's called, which is a big, you know, it dominates the skies and carries your troops. Yeah. And it's eventually what you need to uh, to complete the game. Yeah. So, yeah, research actually is super important. I didn't realize that at all when I started playing this, so I... I was just happy with the guys I had and the guns I had. And I thought, oh, this is just how it is. And then it actually took me quite a few battles before I realized, oh, you can actually 
invent better weapons and uh, <laughs> they they help a lot. <laughs> yes, basically because so. the original weapons are useless very, very fast. Yeah. Yeah, oh god, they're trashed here. But nobody tells you. I mean you just go in and that's what you have. So I I don't have really have a reason. And also, I mean the guns it's quite apparent that they are quite bad, but you can also build all these tanks and mortars and heavy, I don't know, uh, there's all sorts of weapons at the start. And I thought, well, this is actually a quite a fast array of weapons. But yeah, they're all rubbish, aren't they? Aren't they? So the only one that I always loved and always stuck with is I love the autocannon for yes. the uh, incendiary <laughs> rounds. I mean, if you ever have to go to a terrorist uh, or, you know, terror mission at night, it's dude it's so good because you can just shoot that down the dark alleys because the the sight distance is a real thing like even if uh you kind of have visual down an alleyway like you at night you might not see the alien until you get within a certain distance and so as a kid i can tell you it was spooky scary like shooting something down the alley and all of a sudden it bursts into flames and now you can see like three aliens and you're just like oh my god they're all right there you know like they're on top of me kind of thing and i'm all out of time units no like <laughs> the other thing i loved about, i love about the autocannon is if there's an alien in a building and you you know it's there High explosive rounds plus auto fire means that if it's a light duty building like a wooden house or something, you can just vaporize the wall of that building. Yeah. And then all your soldiers can just fire in without having to go inside. I, yeah, I must, we, um, yeah. Something we should say. Yeah. The really unique thing that XCOM does that I don't think any other game has ever done, at least not to this extent, is everything is at least in theory destructible. Mm-hmm. The, I believe the only thing which is destructible and does have destruction spites but i don't think any weapon in the game does high enough damage for oh no one only one weapon does is the outer hulls of ufo ships are almost impossible to destroy right but anything else like interior walls of ufos houses trees you can just throw fire at and it will go away it's it's really impressive for the time especially because this game is from 94 and well destructible terrain was not a thing that you would typically see in games. No, I've heard it actually might have been easier in 94 because of the way graphics worked back then. There's no 3D models or anything. You just swap one sprite for another. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. But still, this is not... But, oh, it's genius. Yeah. This is actually a very cool, cool feature. Even the modern XCOM games do not have this. Hmm. Yeah, I was actually going to bring that up that one of the big criticisms of the modern XCOM games is that they didn't have it. Like, you can't target the wall like they do have it if with a rocket launcher specifically i think but in the original XCOM, you could just shoot the wall with your plasma rifle and blow a hole in it but that's not an option in the new ones and i remember as a kid nothing scared me more as a kid than the snake men and the chrysalids and this is probably just some more of that demo thing coming back but i would i was so scared of the chrysalids that i would run up the stairs in like a big two-story building and then I'd shoot the stairs out. And I'm just like, I'm safe. The the aliens can't get to me now. And then I would just stand at the door, at the windows and shoot the walls out to look in different directions. Meanwhile, you just hear the screams of the civilians. Ah! They're just getting gunned down. And I'm just like, ooh, it's not me. This is great. (laughs) Such a hero. You mean as they all get turned Mm -hmm. into more chrysalids? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you'd eventually fight get 20 zombies and chrysalids because they just keep coming out of the woodwork because you're letting them all get 
mutated or whatever. I guess chrysalids are the one one of the few aliens that that's safe to do with because they can't don't have a ranged attack. Mm-hmm. They're all melee. Mm. Oh yeah, for people who don't know, chrysalids are basically the alien from Aliens, right? Or alien or whatever. Uh, except that when it hits a soldier or civilian, they turn it into a zombie, and when the zombie dies, it makes a new chrysalid right away. Luckily, later you invent the flying armor, and with that you can just like hover over them and shoot them from above. Oh yeah, I forgot about the flying armor. Yeah, it's a moot point at that point. I I remember this is going back to that demo when I played. I do specifically remember this moment, like the horror when I gunned that zombie down, and the alien like rips out of the flesh. You know, <laughs> he just becomes another crystal. And I was like, oh my god, no! Like this is my worst nightmare. They were so scary. Yeah, I, now that you say it, it's coming back to me. The more you describe me, I think I actually did play that demo sometime in the early 2000s. Probably off what demo CD we had. Cool. I, I wish somebody told me <laughs> at the time. Well, I mean, that was like 10 years after it came out. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, we are already talking a little bit about the, the Battlescape stuff. The tactical combat, which, well, it's it's kind of hard to say that is the meat of the game, but I sort of feel that is the meat of the game, although the other aspect is obviously super important. But uh, there is one other Geoscape thing we should talk about before moving fully to the Battlescape. Okay. Manufacturing. Okay. So you unlock technologies like med kits or laser weapons. You then have your engineers produce those items in your base. Mm-hmm. And something that, why I said money is never really an issue is one, I'd always wind up bringing so much many alien artifacts back to my base. They couldn't store them all. So I'd wound up selling them. And like every plasma rifle you bring back is like $100,000. Yeah. But the other thing, you manufacture items. Well, if there's, if you're mostly using captured alien guns, there's a period where you don't need to manufacture much, especially like before you unlock power armor and flying armor in them. So you can just have it manufactured. I think the most optimal one is laser pistols, but any of the laser weapons work and sell them and you will make more significantly more money selling the items you produce in a month than it'll take to pay for those engineers for that month. Oh, that's amazing. So you you turn XCOM into a little business. <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> yep, I remember doing that. I don't I don't know if I'm just selling a bunch of plasma rifles to Saudi Arabia or something. But <laughs> I don't know if we care who we're selling them to. <laughs> I always figured it makes the most sense if you're selling them back to the people who are funding you to help fight off the aliens. Uh, but the image on the cell screen is a sketchy guy holding out a briefcase of cash. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. And I should be pointed out, you can also sell not just the weapons, but like the alien bodies, the UFO entertainments, UFO like abduction autopsy tables. That's bizarre. Yeah. I'm sure Ridley's, believe it or not, bought a few of the alien bodies and stuff. <laughs> in OpenXCOM, you can actually, you have an auto-sell option yes. in manufacturing and it will give you exactly the amount of money you will earn. Ah, that's good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about the open source stuff later, but that's definitely a good a good option right now if you want to play this game. It's funny that we we mentioned the money stuff now because I was just thinking uh, DOS Game Club member uh, Joshua, who has been on the podcast as well, uh, known as uh, VD on, on the on the uh, forums. He was really into this game, and he was on the chat actually uh, mentioning how he was playing and staying up all night. 
And then uh, at one random moment, he was suddenly game over and he didn't understand why. And it turned out that he actually went bankrupt. Ah. So there was just one turn and that was it for him. (laughs) (laughs) And then we started thinking, like, how would this work in reality? I mean, if you think about the aliens attacking us and then the world coming together and fighting them, and then we're giving up because we're out of money? What? I mean... (laughs) It could be that the accounts you're losing, maybe not because XCOM's disbanding, but they're essentially just firing you as its leader. Right, yeah. We're going to get someone who can actually stay on budget. (laughs) But still, Admittedly, though, the amount of money they give you to fight the global alien menace is like, was it like a million and a half dollars a month or something? Like four million dollars? Yeah, not even a tenth of their... Uh, yeah, uh, not even a tenth percent of their budget is like, is into. To be existing. fair, though, <laughs> I'm pretty sure the U.S. spends more per missile than you spend on your interceptors. <laughs> like we'd want to give you some more yeah. money for these aliens, but we got Al Qaeda to worry about. We can't afford. We can't afford it. Yeah, yeah. we got bills, man. <laughs> back in 1998, well, back then it was just Iraq. Well, I guess that was over by then, but still. <laughs> yeah. But it's just so hilarious to think from the viewpoint of the aliens. I mean, you go in and you attack this planet and then suddenly they stop and they give up because they've run out of their own virtual currency. What? That's all made up and we're actually killing them and they don't do anything. (laughs) What? (laughs) It's so stupid. But, oh, well, I guess, yeah, that's how we are. Um, So, yeah, I just thought it was funny to mention. So, yeah, the Geoscape is all the the large decision stuff. But I feel that, um, well, when people talk about XCOM, they really talk about the tactical combat, I feel. So, in a way... When I think of XCOM, I think of the tactical combat. Everything else is just a means to an end for running around the map shooting aliens with cool, cool equipment. Exactly. So, yeah, this is the, the, the Battlescape stuff. That's really what it's about, in a way. You want me to, like, summarize the different weapons you can get or anything like that? Totally. And, and I think we should go into that in, a, in, in one moment, because I think there's one thing we have to explain before we move on to, like, the weapons and the things you can do on the map. And that is the time unit stuff. Oh, yeah. That, I feel, is really what sets this game apart, because there's lots of games that have turn-based combat, but not really like this, though. I mean, this game is kind of, it has its own unique little system. Um, Time units, I I wouldn't say it's unique. Um, I can think of a couple games after they've used it, and they were around in role-playing games before this, I think. Yeah, that's probably where they came from, yeah. Uh, yes. I think Starfleet Battles used impulses, which kind of worked the same way. Okay. I could be wrong there. Or like Jagged Alliance as well. Um, yeah, but... Yeah, Jagged Alliance, uh, and I believe Final Fantasy Tactics used... Oh, no, never mind. It didn't use the TU system. Uh, but Jagged Alliance definitely did. Hmm. But is Jagged Alliance actually before... No, that's from 95. So that's... Maybe they got it from this game. Yeah, it's, it's, it came a bit after. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it was kind of unique to me anyway. I, I mean, I had played, uh, I don't know, Heroes of Might and Magic or, or uh, Master of Magic or, you know, any, any game that has turn-based combat. But you just, in those games, every guy just gets their turn and that's it. But in this game, well, it's a little different. So, uh, yeah, what's up with the time units? Can anyone elaborate a bit on this? 
it's almost like your characters have RPG elements because they all have different stats, strength, and courage, and time units is one of them. And usually they start out kind of low. And as they get promoted in rank and stuff, as they survive missions, their time units will go up and up and up. Mm -hmm. And the real benefit of that is mostly just that they get to walk around more because shooting the weapons always takes a percentage of your time units. Mm -hmm. And I always kind of remember getting frustrated with this as a kid because I've just you know, like, I have way more time units than this other guy, yet we can still only shoot our weapons about the same amount of times because it always takes X percent to do an auto shot. Yeah. And so really increasing your time units just kind of makes you more mobile, able to crouch more, afford to turn around more, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, because everything you do costs a little time mm-hmm. unit. Even moving stuff, like if you have a grenade in your backpack or your belt or something, you have to go to the paper doll window or whatever you want to call it and then move that grenade to your hand and that takes time units and then you have to prime the grenade and that takes time units. And no. In the most 90s thing about this game, I think, there's a lot. it's a very 90s game. Each slot on your paper doll takes different time units to move to and from your hand. And there are a couple slots that cha- take different amounts of time depending on which hand you're moving the item to. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And it's non-intuitive. I figured like your belt would be the fastest, but I looked up and no, your shoulders are the fast least time unit slot to put things in. Okay, wow. <laughs> I didn't know that. I, I know that uh, it was different, yeah. but I didn't know that the shoulder was the fastest. I should move all of my grenades to the shoulders. <laughs> Put everything on the shoulder, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that until I looked it up this month, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and w- what's cool about this, at least that's what I thought was cool, is that it uh, the, the time unit stuff, it changes with the loadout of the guy. So if you give him lots of stuff, then he can walk less far. While if you keep him really light and nimble, then, well, walking takes less time for him. Is that from when you overload him? Like, if you give him more equipment than his strength has, that's when he starts to reduce his time units? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's a threshold. So there's only, it's not like it gradually gets lower, which I thought it might be. But I, as I said, I've been doing some research. But the terrible thing about the original's interface is it doesn't show you how much weight your person's carrying. (laughs) You have to kind of estimate that. Uh, the o- Open XCOM adds a thing where it has a little thing on screen that goes red if you're carrying too much stuff. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. But still kind of cool because my natural uh, inclination was to just put everything on everyone. But actually, that that's not really a good strategy at all. So yeah, that's, it's cool that this game makes you think about all different aspects of of combat and even down to... Yeah, do I put something on the belt or do I put something on the shoulder? And how many grenades am I actually carrying? How many do I need? Uh, is it night or day? So do I take these, what are, what are the lights called again? The um, Electro flares. Yeah, exactly. So you need to throw those if it's dark, otherwise you can't see anything. So yeah, it's, it's really cool that it's detailed like that. And uh, I think that also really helps with the immersion because you can really imagine this situation because of all these details, I think. That's that's really cool. So, yeah, let's go over the weapons, right? Yep, sure. So there's the uh, basically your standard pistol and rifle type things. There's the heavy cannon, which is kind of like a uh, rocket-propelled grenade launcher. 
it can fire like armor piercing, explosive or incendiary shells. Um, and it's apparently pretty good early on, though I never use it. I never used that. <laughs> I thought it sucked so much. <laughs> yeah, so did I. But Sorry. I've seen there's apparently some strategies on the wiki that center around it. Well, it's really slow. That's the thing, isn't it? I mean, Yeah, because you have to reload it after each shot. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's also the only early weapon that if it hits has a good chance of just dropping an alien in one shot. Mm, right, yeah. Um, the autocannon, which is not like, it's not great, but it's a lot of fun. Because mm-hmm. it fires, it can do three round bursts of explosive shells and just like create giant craters or just light an entire building on fire. The rocket launcher, which is again a lot of fun, but it's so heavy that at the early game, none of your soldiers can carry it. And by the late game, you've got better stuff. Yeah. Um, stun rods, which are like, oh, go take an alien back alive by walking up to them and zapping them with this, <laughs> which. Yeah, that's just a good way to throw Useless. away. Yeah, <laughs> eh, for sectoids it's fine. <laughs> if you have a lot of time, you need to run up to them and just save, whack him on the head, load, <laughs> save. True. <laughs> Unless they've got a reaction shot and just, I'll run up to him. Zot. Yeah, <laughs> and you get the uh, the knockout gun, the alien, oh, the you know, incapacitating. Yeah, like you get that pretty pretty early. So. By the time you really need to start capturing aliens to progress the story, uh, you have an ample supply of those. What's the best about the small launcher is that, so it's one of the ones you get off the aliens and have to research. It needs to be reloaded after each shot, but it's an area of effect weapon that doesn't kill people. Hmm. So you can just like, one of your soldiers walks around a corner and sees the alien. You just have someone fire at the wall beside both of them and knock them both unconscious and then just like, Walk up and stim pack your character awake, mm. or just like eh, you have you have a nap. I'll <laughs> we'll, we'll pick you up at the end of the mission. I used to just pick him up and put him in my backpack. <laughs> I'm just carrying this guy around in my backpack. It's amazing. <laughs> I've actually read some tactics that involve aliens won't knowingly attack unconscious XCOM members. So when you, the first person who run into the alien ship, they use up their TUs shooting and stuff. Then what you do is you shoot them in the back with the knockout launcher and the aliens will all ignore them. Huh. Genius. <laughs> they later found out that smoke gave you cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's the thing. So there's smoke grenades in this. Mm-hmm. And if you have a soldier stand in the smoke too long, it will eventually knock them unconscious. Yep. Wow. Which I did not learn until very recently. There's like a little bar that progresses across your health bar, I believe. And when it reaches your top health, you pass out. And I believe it's the same ticker that the smoke grenade or the stun grenades use. Yeah. Uh, The one problem is aliens don't take smoke damage. And in the original, there was apparently an exploitable bug where any time an incendiary weapon went off anywhere on the map, everyone standing in smoke would take that damage again. Oh, that's terrible. So there's actually an exploitable bug where you'd fire off a bunch of incendiary rounds to knock people unconscious with your own troops unconscious with smoke. <laughs> that seems useful. Uh, well. <laughs> but the smoke still is pretty useful, right? I mean, it oh, does, yeah. Yeah, it does help. So explosions will make smoke, and there's also smoke grenades. Mm-hmm. And it means aliens can't see you as easily. And I think their accuracy goes down when firing through it. That's what I think. So yeah. the tactic the wiki told me to do is turn one, don't move everyone because every alien has their full to use so they'll be really good at reaction shots. Because mm. uh, the how good you are at being able to react and do like overwatch shots 
scales with the percentage of your TU left. Right. Which is never explained anywhere. <laughs> but it means turn one, uh, all the aliens will, if they see you, will pretty much guarantee to shoot you. So turn one, don't move anyone out of your ship, but throw a smoke grenade out. Yeah, exactly. And then when you walk out of your ship next turn, the aliens will have moved, they'll be less able to shoot you, and they might not be able to see you. The the reactionary shot stuff is pretty interesting by itself because... It's, I'd say, the most imp- distinctive and important mechanic in the game. Because it's a reason not to use all your time units, right? Yep. So how does that work? So I had to look this up, and I actually posted in the forum saying I didn't understand this, and I was like, there's this wiki, I'll look it up. Mm-hmm. So every character, alien and human, has a reaction score. And when you do certain actions, and there's a list, again, never explained to you. It's on the wiki from people like going through the game's code. There's a list of actions that involve like, if you move in front of an alien, if you fire your weapon in front of an alien, I think if you fire your weapon at the alien, but not necessarily just in front of the alien. Um, oh no, it's there's a separate back. So if you're behind the alien, then they don't do anything unless you shoot them and then they can turn around. Right. Or have a chance to turn around. Or if you do any of these list of actions in front of them, it rolls the invisible dice based on, and it's the reaction score times the percentage of TUs they have left. And if it succeeds at this check, then they get a free shot at you, basically. Yeah. And same with your people. So it's good to have some guards who are like crouching, looking at where you think the aliens are coming from, and have all or almost all of their time units left. So the aliens will walk out and just get shot in the face. Yeah. But yeah, actually figuring out, like I didn't realize, I thought that maybe because I played some other games with a similar mechanic based on it, if you had enough time units left for a snapshot, you'd have a chance of shooting a snapshot. Mm -hmm. When it's actually, no, it's just a percentage of your time units left. If there's none left, there's no percent. Yeah. No, it's an interesting, well, it's almost, (laughs) I mean, there's so many mechanics already going on that really this game doesn't need yet another thing but I'll, this is one of the more interesting ones so oh there's something else that was cool about it um oh yeah that reminded me one of the cool things about that again is not explained and you'd have to like notice is that your soldier stats go up based on what they do in battle so if they right. successfully shoot an alien they're more accurate if they successfully do a reaction fire they're more likely to do it successfully next time mm. and they also get promoted which i think boosts their stats up as well there's not just uh, soldiers in the game, though, right? I mean, you can also bring tanks yep. and stuff like that. Uh, and there's all sorts of controversy about whether they're good to use on the you know, various guides. Hmm. But the tanks have, they cost a lot. They don't get XP. Yeah. So any kills they make are basically stealing it from your soldiers. Right. But especially in early in the game, they can move fast. They're great scouts. And they can actually take a hit, unlike your soldiers. Yeah. Uh, and you can choose to arm them. The early ones only come with there's two types of early ones, right? Uh, there's the cannons and the rockets, I think. Yeah, that's it. So yeah, the cannons are like, just do damage to a single one. The rockets fire are like firing a rocket launcher. And then later on, you can get laser tanks and some other stuff, I believe. You have laser tank, and then you have hovercrafts for plasma, and then for pulse, like it's fusion torpedoes. And each of your soldiers takes up one square, and the tanks take up four. And there's a couple aliens that also take up four. Right. Yeah, so you can't fit as many. How many guys can fit into the the, the Sky Ranger at first? Like 14, right? So, but you can't bring 14 tanks. No. No. And Avenger, it's, it's, I think it's 
18. I'm, I'm not sure, but I think it's 18. It's, it's a bit bigger. Yeah, that's one of the big things I've noticed between XCOM and every other game of this type is you actually have enough soldiers to like do small squad tactics and send four person squads around to cover each other and like seal off all the entrances and like, all right, half my team is guards, the other half I'm sending to explore down these hallways. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool because a lot of these games only have like three, four guys in a team and then you can't do a lot. Yep. Yeah, that's that's actually very interesting. I think when you start the game, you only have like eight soldiers or something. You can just hire more right from the start. So yeah, there's really not a reason not to go in with 14. And it's also important to hire a lot of soldiers because the promotions, actually, they are made, uh, like they limit the number of soldiers you have, limit the number of uh, sergeants, captains, commanders you can have, actually. Huh. So unless you have enough soldiers, they will never get promoted. Oh, that's bizarre. Uh, the cool thing I found when I was looking at how promotions worked a little bit was that uh, whenever you hire someone, they come in as a rookie. Hmm. And uh, I believe they have to have seen an alien to become a squaddy or something like that. It's like down, it's an automatic promotion that like they've been accepted by the squad. They're less likely to panic and whatnot. But it's yeah. like a no matter how many what else happens, they have to do this thing. Whereas like your squaddy can be promoted to a sergeant even if they were back at base, if they're the most experienced soldier left. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, the, um, what you said with, about the panic, that's another thing. Uh, I mean, uh, even, uh, man. <laughs> so I'm, 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 you know, I'm figuring this game out. I'm not great at it, but I'm slowly learning. And then, you know, I, I, I tried to think up a strategy and then two of the guys panic on me. And then what? gun down your best guy in the back. Ah! <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, the worst one. The worst one is when uh, there's an alien using psychic powers on them to make them panic before they've <sighs> left the craft. And the person with the explosive weapon panics while everyone's still standing in your ship and blows oh, your entire squad yes, up. Man, yes. it's yeah, you can rage quit this game. Just and yeah, it's two. I think there's two things that can happen, right? I mean, there's the panic, but there's also the berserk. Yeah, the panic's not so bad. The berserk, that one's real bad. Exactly, because although the panic, it it makes them drop their weapon. Yep. Uh, so that's yeah, that's really bad if they're holding an armed grenade. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> but yeah, this stuff just. Adds more drama on top of what was already really, really... The great uh, thing, though, is aliens can also panic. Oh, that is cool. Yeah, that is cool. So, yeah, so I'd just be playing through a mission, and I'd kill three or four aliens in a turn. Then get the, you know, sectoid commander has panicked. And I'm like, all right, that means... And in the original, uh, they won't pick their guns back up. So it's like, yes, yeah. there's somewhere an unarmed alien around. Yeah, that is cool. That makes it a bit more fair. Yeah. Yeah. I... Totally abuse that mechanic. Uh, perhaps the next weapon we should talk about is the uh, the mind control mm -hmm. device. <laughs> like that, that was my favorite thing. Uh, oh, sorry, I wanted to say. I one thought thing it was so panic. cool. Oh, go for it. Um, you actually can avoid most of your soldiers panicking with using what's called a rear commander. So the morale loss for anything is modified by if you have a ranking officer around to tell them not to panic. The higher-ranking the officer, the better they are at that. Mm. Uh, but if a high-ranking officer is killed, the more like the higher the ranking the officer that dies, the worse the panic is. Right. So the trick is right. to take your highest-ranking officer. This is harder to do in the DOS version when you can't rearrange your troops. Mm -hmm. But you essentially leave your highest-ranking guy back in the ship 
So there's no chance of them getting killed. And then they may will drop all of the chances of panicking by like 50% or something like that. Yeah, because it does happen a lot in the early game, I feel. Yeah, uh, because you don't have any high-ranking people yet. Yeah, and also and because your people die a lot. So <laughs> yeah, they do die a if lot. If somebody gets killed in front of a soldier, <laughs> then, then the morale goes to very quickly to zero. The worst one for morale, I think, is if one of your soldiers kills another one. Mm, yeah, that's not good. That's uh, And that can happen with the berserk mode. Uh, when they go into Berserk and kill someone else, and then someone panics because of that. That's just, ah. This is a quick edit we put in later, because right after we had recorded this show, we received a voice message from DOS Game Club user Evil Commie Dictator, also known as David, who has been on the Knights of the Sky podcast, and who might be in the Pirates one. That's uh, that's the next one. Anyway, he sent this voice message after we had already uh, finished recording. So, yeah, we didn't discuss it, but I still thought it was nice to include it. So, here it is. Hi, Dust Games. Hope you all had fun playing XCOM UFO Defense. Hopefully you didn't tear all your hair out playing it. Uh, as someone who's ended up playing most games with the word XCOM in it. One thing I really appreciate about XCOM UFO Defense is that it really allows you to lose a lot of your men during a mission and not penalise you too heavily, something in which other games have kind of made it hard to to replicate. You tend to lose everything if you lose your good guys. Um, On losing guys, what was the situation in UFO Defense where you all felt that you'd lost the game or that you'd wiped a squad and thought it was game over and were ready to uninstall, delete, and never play again. Cheers. Thanks a lot for that message, David. It's really nice to receive these voice messages. So uh, if, you're, if you want to send one in, you can do so by sending it to club at dosgameclub.com and we'll include it in the show. Now, um, obviously... David asked a question about uh, units in this game which were really special to you. Uh, sadly, we didn't have the chance to discuss this topic since we received it after the show was already recorded. But the um, reason I put it in at this exact moment into the podcast is because actually Tyler did have a story about a unit in the game that was kind of special to him, which has to do with the mind control abilities in this game. So, um, yeah. Let's continue on and and have Tyler tell us this story. Anyway, mind control. Yeah, Tyler, what's up with the mind control? Mind control is really awesome. I remember it like blowing me away as a kid, right? Like I just never saw it coming. You know what I mean? I knew the aliens were doing it to me, but I never thought that you could learn to do it, and mm-hmm. you gain the uh, ability to research it by capturing an ethereal alien alive. They're the ones that kind of look like they're wearing like the orange robes. Mm-hmm. And uh, you build the device, and I believe you hold it in your hand. And uh, I didn't get to it um, this month, unfortunately. But what I remember about it is I had my character when I was uh, you know, in sixth grade or seventh grade or whatever, and of course it was named after me. So I had Commander Tyler there, and he was—he had the uh, the mind control device, and I had killed all the aliens except for one Snake Man, who had the uh, 
the knockout gun, and he only has like two or three shots with the knockout gun. Mm-hmm. So it was only this one alien left, and I was like, I'm going to mind control this guy because I want to do it so bad. And I sat there, and I just I didn't have enough skill. I assumed that you just had to be at a certain threshold with your stat in order to mind control this guy, and it wouldn't work. And I sat there, I mean, as a kid, I did it for like half an hour, right? Just like, pass the turn, mind control, fail, pass the turn, mind control, fail. And I just did this over and over and over again. But doing that is what builds the skills. So when that map was over, my mind can, my, you know, size skill was like maxed out. Oh, yeah. And I could just mind control everything off the first try. So all I did a lot of times after that is I had, I kind of, I called, I eventually modified his name to Professor X, like <laughs> Tyler. And, uh, and he just, he never moved. He never moved from the start spot. The other guys walk out, spot an alien. He mind controls them, makes the aliens throw the gun at my guys, like, woo, throws their rifle over. And then, yeah, they never pick it back up. And then you just walk them over and uh, you can just kill them at will. So that's how I played a lot of the uh, harder parts of the late game. Just like, just mind control everyone. And the uh, the crazy broken thing about mind control in the original and the unmodded open source version is that there's no line of sight. If you know an alien's there or an alien knows he's one member of your squad, they can mind control any member of your squad. And if you, any of your soldiers can see the alien, you can try and mind control them. Yeah, I guess I was trying to uh, trying to make that clear when I was saying, like, my guy would never leave. Yeah. Like, he would just sit in the ship. And then when other people walked out and spotted people, he would just and mind control him. And, <laughs> and another thing that was, cool about that i think this was maybe a bug because it's it had it had to be a bug because you couldn't go to the aliens paper doll but if you were in one of your soldiers paper doll you could move through your soldiers until you got to the alien and it would actually have a picture of a human like because there wasn't you know there wasn't an image for the alien so it was just a picture of a guy but that's when you'd be like all right Take that grenade from your, oh, you know, no. backpack and put it in your hand and blow yourself up, kind of thing. Like so, it was it was cool. Wow! One thing that makes it's also overpowered that it's an exception to all of the guns, and it actually doesn't take a percentage of the to use. It all 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 of the attacks always cost twenty five. So at the end of the game, you can make four or five attacks in a turn, depending on the version you are playing. Maybe even ten. Nice. And uh, yeah, there are a lot of. Weird bugs with mind control. For example, if you mind control a part of an alien that is actually four squares large, it can shoot itself in its turn because it sees <laughs> itself as an enemy. You can also mind control uh, if if your soldier becomes a zombie, you can mind control the zombie, then kill the zombie, mind control the the chrysalis, and if you wait out until the end of the mission, you can actually get the soldier back. <laughs> what? Oh, I never knew that. There's an exploit with that where you can exploit it to gain infinite XP, I believe. Nice. I never did, but I was reading about these old bugs. Yeah. Uh, my favorite is apparently there's a way if you mind control one square of the four square creatures where you can trick them into doing reaction fire against itself. That's fun. Anyway, <laughs> with this, we never actually finished the list of uh, weapons. We got through all the human ones. But now that we've talked about alien inventories. Oh, there's alien ones as well. Yeah, so the humans can build laser weapons, one of which is actually really useful, the laser rifle, because it's reasonably powerful and has unlimited ammunition. So you can just, you know, have a couple people with that, and they're like, there's an alien in that building. That that building doesn't have a wall. 
But from the aliens, you get the plasma weapons, the plasma pistol, plasma rifle, and then the weapon you'll use 95% of the game, the heavy plasma, mm-hmm. which all of which will just like any human made structure, instant hit, it's gone. <laughs> Can even like shoot through alien ships and they just do the a ton of damage, especially the heavy plasma. And they're free because you just take them off dead aliens. Right. The first time I used it, I wiped out my entire squad. Uh, so I've actually, like, even when I've researched them, I don't use them because I'm scared of them. Uh, it's like the guided alien guided missile launcher called the blaster the launcher. The blaster bomb. Yeah. Yeah. Can someone explain to me how you actually control that thing? Because I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. Well, it's just wherever you click, that's where the, like, you can set up, like, nine, up to nine or so different, like, waypoints, if you will. So the first place you click is where it's going to fly, and then it's going to fly to the next waypoint and the next waypoint. As long as there's nothing in between the waypoints, it's just going to keep flying. Oh, okay. As a kid, I was kind of, you know, embellished, you know what I mean? Like if there was an alien out there, it'd go out there and it'd circle the alien about six times, go all the way up to the top of the map, but then all the way straight down on him. Like it was hilarious. Look at me. (laughs) And you can send them vertically, right? Like you can send them up elevator shaft. Absolutely. Got to actually try using that thing. Like you, this, it cannot be underestimated how big this explosion is. Like it will blow up the entire size of your screen. Like <laughs> it's, it's an explosive like no other. And it's the only one that can really go through the walls of the spaceship. And once I started getting like the flying armor and, you know, blaster bombs and basically, you know, I've reached the late game and I have all this cool equipment and I had like a squad of six guys who were just godly. I would uh, fly up to the top of the alien ship and then like blow a hole in the top of the alien ship and have my guys kind of infiltrate like from the co- you know from their bridge room or something like that as opposed to the you know traditional ways of going through the normal doors and i just yeah you know, i just thought i was so cool yeah that's one of the things i love about this is like reading the wiki and like playing around with it myself is like in most video games you don't do things like how actual soldiers would like you 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 go through the door like kick in the door like a hero when I read, uh, like, the Canadian soldiers in World War II in Italy were famous for all the buildings were built wall to wall. And there'd be, like, German snipers guarding the streets. So they'd do the same thing like you do in this game where they'd go into the first building and then just blow a hole in the wall and go into the second building from that hole. Right. And you can, like, that's a totally, like, they're, like, you know, reading this wiki. It's like, oh, yeah, use explosives to make doors. The aliens guard the doors. Yeah. And I recently discovered an item I never used before this month. The high explosive is actually really useful for that. That's cool. It's like a grenade that you can only barely throw. Um, so yeah, the aliens there's also have their own grenades. We've alluded to there's like various tiers of armor you can get. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a motion scanner, which is basically useless. Yeah, I never used it. Never. Yeah, but it's annoying because there's so many times where it's like there's one alien left on the map and you just have to slowly walk around the map, taking all your time to guard or it'll kill one of your people or two of your people. As like, if, if you just made the motion scanner like a little bit more useful, like if it had a decent range to it, that I think make the game a lot better. Uh, actually, when I was watching a Let's Play of Terror from the Deep, the guy, he used the motion scanner quite a lot because you can actually, uh, from it, you can calculate the exact position of the alien and then throw a grenade over there or, or send them a guided missile. And for that, it's actually really useful. Yeah, but it's all, it's got a very limited range. 
So you actually have to already be close to it. I, I think it's like nine squares yeah. or something like that. It's very, yeah, it's very short. Oh, I just want to share one memory real quick since the, the talk of the weapons here. Man, the countries got a lot more angry with me on the terror missions once the best blaster bomb was researched. So I'm just like, alien in that building, man. <laughs> just like level the whole building, kill all the civilians with it. Like, I'm rich. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I was thinking about this. I mean, at the start of the game with the story and the alien invasion and the nations get together and they, they form XCOM to defend them. But, well, listening to you guys now, I think by the late game, you have to wonder, are the aliens still the threat or has XCOM actually gotten out of hand a bit. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have watched The Boys, but it's starting to sound a lot like that. Yeah. I've not heard of that. The superheroes who are kind of dicks. <laughs> yeah. I should specify, you are not penalized for damaging buildings, but you are penalized for letting spoons die or killing them is worse. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, you're allowed to totally like, they're like, eh, well, we can pay for those buildings to be rebuilt. Just save the people. Yeah, that's fair, but still, I mean, yeah. Well, especially once you get the 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 more alien-like uh, aircraft, and you're in your super weird power suits and with your weird plasma guns. I mean, to to the civilians, I'm not sure if it's clear that these are not the aliens actually, and it's yeah, it it must look like there's just that would explain the most annoying civilian behavior in the game. Hmm, what's that? So the civilians, they're just coded to run around randomly, as far as I can tell. Right, yeah. They'll be, like, running around, and those run towards an alien or directly into the line of fire. And I'm like, would it have been that hard to code them to, you know, if I hear gunshots here, run the opposite way, or if I see an alien, run directly away from them? Yeah, and go into the Sky Ranger, please, and just hide there. Yes! Yeah. But I guess, you know, the, the people in the power armor shooting the aliens might be kind of scary. Mm. You know, you think they could paint like a flag or something on them, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I, I think it looks like it's just two alien factions fighting and it's my, maybe not so clear for these civilians. Still, running away and hiding from both sides would be useful. Yeah, I will. Actually, that I want to say with my mention of the flag, one of the really cool things about the game is that it has lists of names for like six or seven different countries from all over the world. Mm -hmm. So you actually will get like people with French names, people with German names, people with uh, Arabic names. Yeah, that is cool. Uh, I forget which Arabic country. Egypt. Mm. Egypt was the country they drew their names from, I believe. That is cool. Um, but I have a mod that increases the number of countries on the list. And so it's like, it really emphasizes that this is like a global thing. It's not, most games it's like, yes, this is a global thing and everyone's American. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which as a non-American, it's nice to... Canada's not on the list, of course, because, I mean, our names are pretty much the same, but... Yeah, but it's nice that the makers of this game acknowledge that the world is not the United States. And uh, Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. Um, actually, I think the game was made by a bunch of British guys, so maybe that uh, helps to explain a little bit well, why they were aware that the world is not America. <laughs> We've covered a lot about the Battlescape, I think. I mean, is there anything that's really... We haven't actually talked about the aliens. Well, we have a little bit. I mean, we've mentioned them bit. left and right. But yeah, um, 
So we've talked about the sectoids and uh, the snake man and, and the ethereal guys. And But what's really, um, maybe just mention two or three standout aliens, like the, the special ones, you know? My favorites, the mutons. Okay. They're just like the big burly orcs of the aliens. Right. They're real right. tough. They take a lot of damage, but they're actually like less stressful to fight because they don't have any psychic powers. Their terror units are just big, beefy aliens. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, they're just fun to fight. Yeah. I can remember my first battle with the Muton. This was back, uh, you know, sixth, seventh grade. I want to say sixth. And this is back when I was telling you that, like, I didn't know about, like, that I had researched the plasma weapons. Like, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that meant the (laughs) alien guns. So I only had the laser guns. And I, uh, a very small UFO had landed. And I'm just like, go, Sky Ranger, clear this trash up you know <laughs> and i'm telling you my that single muton killed so many of my guys like he's just oh, no. shrugging off these laser hits and gunning down my guy like he must have killed like five guys and i at that after that battle was just like terrified of the mutons like <laughs> just horrified yeah so yeah um and then we we've, we've mentioned the giant units like uh the coolest one of those in my opinion is the Cyberdisc, which is a robot. So you can't actually ever capture them alive like you can with the other aliens. Mm-hmm. But they're scary because like, they've got a plasma cannon, which does more damage than most alien weapons. So, but I mean, at the stage of armor I usually have, it's often one hit kill anyway, so I never even notice that. But the scary thing about them is they explode when they die. Oh, yes. If you're too close to them, you can take it out and they'll still take out a bunch of your people. Yeah. That was kind of cool to to learn that not only are there like alien little guys, but there's all sorts of vehicles and 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 little what are they airplanes or something? I don't know. They're floating discs. Yeah, the cyber disc. That's uh, the cyber yeah, disc. That's yeah, what we're yeah, talking exactly. about. Yeah, I know, but that's what I mean. That's it's really cool that the, it's not just alien guys you're fighting. It's all they've they've brought all this stuff with them. The the interesting thing about the Cyberdisc is that uh, actually in XCOM, depending on the units, they have a I don't know how is it coded, but they have actually a profile. So for example the Cyberdisc is a very thin disc, so it's actually harder to shoot from the front because it's like just a you see basically like a line. Huh. And uh, it's easy to shoot from the top because then it's like really large. Oh. So uh, you have everything's got a height stat, which makes it easier, wow. harder to shoot. It's like a pancake, a flowing pancake. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the funny thing about this is, some people were trying to reverse engineer like how tall are the aliens in 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 reality? Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently, according to this, it all makes sense if you like use the height stat as a number of centimeters or something like that. Okay. Uh, except that would make all the XCOM soldiers 2.2 meters tall. Well, that's fair. They recruit the best. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it's to compensate for the fact that XCOM can kneel and aliens can't. Oh, yeah. Okay. Why Why do you think... Because it's so... Uh, the game is so similar in what you can do and what the aliens can do. It's almost uh, like they doubled everything up. But it's weird that they didn't give the aliens disability. Maybe. maybe as an AI. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's just too complicated. Yeah. It came in in later games. Okay. That's interesting. Of the aliens, I think the one that you will encounter probably the during the largest part of the game is the Levitz, which is very weak alien, but they can float. So it kind of sometimes a bit annoying. Mm-hmm. Those are normally called the floaters, I think. Ah, floaters. Floaters. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is uh, this translated. Yeah, they're cool. Right. 
So what's up with the floaters? They float. Okay. They, they, they give you, <laughs> <Thank> if, you. <laughs> when, when you capture them, they give you the technology to make the uh, flying armor, which is the best uh, armor in the game, which right. uh, enables you to float as well. And the floaters are very weak, like they usually they take only one shot from laser rifle, maybe two. But since they can like fly, uh, sometimes you have to be careful because in, in a crashed, uh, for example, they can be above you in a crashed uh, a UFO or something like that. Mm. It's, it's in general, it's, it's quite nice, the diversity and all the, the aliens, I think. It's quite creative, and even though they ha- there's obvious heavy inspiration taken from all sorts of science fiction, I don't know, stuff. But still, the different kinds, it's really quite impressive how different they really are, I think. And also, one thing I didn't remember, but in my playthrough just today, I actually I got finally to Aetherals, and I didn't remember how precise they were. Basically, it's the last alien you encounter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like this, uh, like we said, like cloaked uh, gray alien. Yeah, and they have the power to mind control your units, mm-hmm. and also they are like they can shoot your guys from like basically the whole map through the whole map and one shot your your people with just a plasma cannon. And this gets you quite <laughs> annoying at the end. Yeah, what I found yeah. was really cool about the aliens is they all have different jobs. Hmm. So like there's sectoid commanders. There's there's uh, the various ranks are like there's soldier, commander, engineer. Is there like a pilot or something like that? Navigator and medic. Yeah, and they all have like different weapons and different stats. So even if like two sectoids or ethereals or whatever look the same, they might have different weapons and di- different abilities. Yeah, it's impressive. They clearly put a lot of effort into, well, all the details and all the different, you know, it's just such a deep game because of all this that, yeah, it's really, even if you're a veteran player, I think it's still amazing to learn what's, actually in there and what's going on it's uh well i think it's it's maybe a bit more common also in the in these older games that they sometimes go really deep but then again i feel this one is really impressive for the time so yeah and those roles are eventually uh part of how you move the game forward story-wise like you have to capture a living alien captain to like learn something to research Ah. and then you need to capture a commander in one of the bases. Like you need to attack a base, and you need to capture the commander to learn about the base on Mars. And then you need to build the Avenger, which can is capable of space flight, so you can fly to Mars for the final showdown. Awesome! You actually did this, didn't you, Tyler? Yeah, that's super awesome. I think it's always awesome if a game is set on Earth, but then there's also a section in space. <laughs> I mean, that's just, yeah, that just is a great game. If it has that, that's awesome. And Mars is really cool. There's like, it, it takes place in two phases. One where you land on Mars and you see these, you know, kind of alien pyramids and stuff like that. And then you go in and eventually you get all your guys on the grav lift to go down into the base. And then it loads the second portion of the level where you're actually down inside the base. Cool. Everything looks really alien. The graphics are just, you know, really just hit the spot for the theme. Feels good. And you have to kill the alien brain. Yeah. Awesome. Literally. He ate a blaster bomb in my <laughs> game. You know it. Did you beat the game eventually, Joseph? Yeah, yeah, I did it. Like uh, before, not this month, but uh, I, I finished the game several times before. Mm, awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I feel I should go back and just 
keep on trying because this sounds really awesome stuff. As a fan of DOS games, you really owe it to yourself to uh, yeah. to experience it. Totally, totally. And do you do you get a like a cool end sequence? Like there's also the intro sequence, or uh, is it only the intro? It's so long ago, man. I just kind of remember just seeing like a text thing, like you have destroyed the mm. aliens, you win, congratulations. But right. I, yeah. I could be wrong. I'm not beating my hand on the table saying that's for sure how it was because it was so long ago. Yeah, that's fair enough. I only had the text, but then my version when I was playing it, it didn't have an intro either. So mm, Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> I probably fell off the truck. Yeah, well, it happens. <laughs> Um yeah I think I think it's interesting to dive a little bit into uh who made this game and how it came to be you know stuff like that if that's all right we can talk more about the game itself and anything we want to talk about later but yeah it's always a a nice section of the podcast I feel to talk about the people behind the game because that's interesting as well I've just gathered some things I did a little research gathered some things from Moby Games and from Wikipedia and from actually there's a really nice talk on YouTube which I'll link to uh, in the post along with this one it's a talk by uh, Julian Gallop Gallop, uh, who is the main guy behind the whole game I suppose the game designer Uh, and he did a talk at GDC, where they have these uh, yearly game developer conference talks, and they often uh, ask some some guy to to give a talk about an old game and explain how they made it. And yeah, so if you're really interested, then definitely recommend you talk you look up this this one because he explains it all how it happened. Uh, it's it's a Brit, it's a British guy, and he started making games in 1988 together with his brother Nick. So it was Julian and Nick Gollop, the brothers, who founded uh, Target Games in 1988. I don't think I ever heard of them under that name, but maybe you have. Nope. No. Um, they did make quite a lot of games, though. Um, they made a game called Rebel Star. I found only Rebel Star 2. I don't know if they also made the original one, but I don't know. They made a game called Rebel Star 2, at least. Uh, and they also made a game called Laser Squad. And I think, in a way, XCOM is really a sequel, sort of, to these games. Because a lot of the mechanics from XCOM are also available in Rebel Star and in Laser Squad. Although XCOM is much more expansive and more you know, just in-depth. But yeah, in a way, they have been working with these mechanics for uh, for uh, quite a while. I don't know, if have any of you played either of these games? No. no these I older haven't. ones? No. no. Me neither. Would be interesting to look them up. I'm not sure if they're available for DOS. I think they're available for other systems, but yeah. They also made Lords of Chaos in 1990, which also not a game I'm familiar with. Later, they worked on XCOM Apocalypse in 97, which I think is the third game in the series. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. After Terror from the Deep, yeah. Oh, it's the best game in the series. It's the last real X of the original XCOM lineage. Hmm, right. So they didn't work on Terror of the Deep, weirdly. Although, yeah, maybe it was just another team handling it or something. I'm, because actually, Terror of the Deep is almost the same as this game, isn't it? So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they worked on the real sequel, Meanwhile, or something. I don't know. On Wikipedia, I saw they also made a game called Magic and Mayhem in 1998. But then eventually, 
they worked on a thing called the Dreamland Chronicles Freedom Ridge, uh, which, well, I I think that's the game they eventually choked on, or, well, it was just a bit chew off too much. I don't know, what's the saying? <laughs> uh, anyway, the, the game got cancelled, and it also got the studio bankrupt. So, yeah, that really was their last effort. Although I did read that what they did develop for the Dreamland Chronicles was bought by another studio and it was made into UFO Aftermath. So, Oh, I think I've played that one. Huh. I've played that one. It's pretty fun. Yeah. So actually that was, well, they started on that game as under a different title. But uh, yeah. I think I bought that before XCOM was available on Great Old Games, or mm-hmm. as I wanted more XCOM, and I read that this is the whole UFO something series uh, were sequel, were like spiritual successors. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, it's the same. It's the same people, uh, same studio. Um, yeah. And actually, it's interesting that that this game is called UFO because originally this game was called UFO as well, wasn't it? I mean, the XCOM game we played this month, XCOM UFO Defense, that's the American uh, title, I think. Yep, that's the one I had. Yeah, but in Europe, it's released as UFO Enemy Unknown. So, And I think there's also a PlayStation version, which there is. has a combination of those two. There's a mashup of names, yeah. Got good music. I have the PlayStation version. What's that one called? Uh, hold on. Hold on. Let me reach over and grab it. I got to unclip my lapel mic to reach. <laughs> oh, no. While he's doing that, an interesting note, the Dreamland Chronicles Freedom Ridge, I suspect Dreamland in it is a reference to Area 51. I think that's one of the uh, ufo ology nicknames for that. Mm, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's just called XCOM UFO Defense. XCOM UFO Defense. Yep. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, that's the normal name. Okay. I thought there was... It could be that in Europe it came out under a different name. Yeah, I think they they included XCOM, but they also included the Enemy Unknown. I think it's just XCOM Enemy Unknown, something like that. It's uh, it's a weird... Isn't that the 2016 one? Oh, maybe. That's that's it. Yeah, I don't know. They They messed up the names a bit, or at least reused the same terms over and over, so... Yeah, it's a bit confusing. What's kind of interesting is that, well, they made Rebel Star 2 and they made Laser Squad, both released in 1988. And then they started on this game. Initially, it was going to be called Laser Squad 2. So uh, so actually, they were thinking, let's make another Laser Squad game. And they made a demo on the uh, Atari ST in 1991. And they took the, the demo to several publishers and eventually they struck a deal with Microprose, who was absolutely huge at the time. Uh, Microprose was just all over the place in the early 90s, developing games, also publishing other people's games. And yeah, they were a huge, huge studio after uh, Civilization blew up in uh, 1990. Didn't they also do Masters of Orion? Yeah, they totally did. So uh, yeah, I mean, those were really... Like those were the guys to to be with at the time. I think I read somewhere that they were really happy to be signed with Microprose uh, because, well, they were just really respected and they were, you know, one of the big companies at the time. Yeah. Making the exposure you'd get from it was, I mean, exactly. 
So, uh, yeah, Microprose was, was kind of impressed with this Laser Squad 2 demo they made. But after they had released Civilization the year before, this is 1991 still we're talking about, they feel that the game had to be absolutely grand and massive and just, you know, the, that's, that's what Microprose wanted to be known as, just these super expensive games. So, um, actually, Laser Squad 2 at that point wasn't all that uh, deep or impressive. I think it mostly f- focused on the tactical combat, and it didn't have so much of the Geoscape base-building stuff in it. So, uh, yeah, that's really Microprose's influence. And they demanded they uh, they put this stuff in. So... And and actually, Microprose was also the one who said, maybe don't call it Laser Squad 2, and maybe, yeah, jump on this UFO bandwagon of all... Uh, that's that's all the rage in the 90s with the X-Files and all that stuff. So maybe maybe go along with that. And Microprose also provided a bunch of people to work with. So they, um, they provided them with some graphic artists... Uh, I read that uh, a guy named John Reitze and Martin Smilly were really uh, influential. And also some audio people, notably John Broomhall and Andrew Parton, who uh, made the music and the sound effects. So, yeah, these people were employed by Microprose and then they could just uh, work on the game for them, which I think was pretty cool just to get these people in to, uh, yeah, suddenly level up your... uh, your development team. That's, that's kind of cool. One thing I read, which is kind of a weird story, is this guy called Steve Hand. And I'm not even sure where he worked or what his connection is to the whole thing. But I read this guy called Steve Hand uh, apparently had a big influence on the game. Um, and he, he helped them actually get signed with Microprose. And he helped them with making the game larger and, and adding stuff to it. And he also even came up with the name XCOM because uh, apparently someone else came up with XCON with an N in the end for contact. <laughs> and then he was like, no, 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 not, not XCON, XCOM. Yeah. And then... Sounds like you're just fighting against a bunch of guys that just got out of prison. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so this seems like a sort of an important guy to Steve Hand, but he's not in the credits at all. So that's... I, I don't know what happened there. But it's uh, it's kind of weird. And, well, what's actually the funniest story is um, development of this game took quite a bit longer than than Microprose was comfortable with. Uh, I think they said uh, an 18-month uh, contract with them, so they had to finish the whole thing in 18 months. But eventually it took them over two years because, yeah, the game was eventually released early 1994, so... Yeah, took them well over two years to work on this. And while they were while they were working on it, uh, Microprose was actually bought out by Spectrum Holobyte. Uh, Spectrum Holobyte bought a huge amount of shares in Microprose, thus taking control of the company. And Spectrum Holobyte cancelled the game. Uh, they just said, "Well, this game is way over budget, way over time. This is going. This is not going to be anything. Just cancel it." But, but the Microprose people never told Julian, so they just shut up about it and never mentioned this to to Julian and his team. And they just kept on working, not knowing anything, being completely oblivious that actually the executives had decided to cancel the game. 
So they just kept on working on it. And eventually, a few months later, they released the game, much to Spectrum Olabite's surprise. But yeah, by then the game was done and there was no reason not to ship it. So <laughs> they were like, oh, I thought we had canceled this game. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> oh, look, it's making a ton of money. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. We knew it. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. knew it the whole time. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm a businessman. <laughs> Such a bizarre story, because I I think they um, they wanted to hit the ninety three uh, holiday season if, uh, at first, and and they were really upset that they would miss that window, and then yeah, they just said, well, cancel this, and then uh, eventually it was released in March nineteen ninety four, I think, so just a few months later, much much to their own surprise. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's a fun story. You know the CEO put it on his resume too, like released XCOM, one of the most popular games of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, We're genius games people. Yeah, <laughs> definitely running a tight ship. There. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's all I know. So I don't know if anyone has anything to add about this stuff. No, I, I don't know that much about the uh, the whole behind the scenes thing. I just I just played it. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough, but I, I I do recommend watching the the um, the talk. I'll uh, I'll put up a link with it because that as a, as a fan of the game, I think that's also interesting. So uh, yeah, that's cool just to hear him basically repeat this exact same story <laughs> that I just told. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit more about some of the like the graphics and the sound aspects of this game. Yes. And we've talked so, you know, analytically about the, the mechanisms and mechanics and blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I kind of want to just get, like, touch on the feelings of playing this game. Like, the emotions type thing. Like, mm. this game, I mean, when I was playing it, I must have been, like, 13 years old. Yeah. And, dude, this game, like, it made me nervous. It gave me anxiety. Like, it, it, was, it was spooky and scary. Like... Mm-hmm. When the game loads, the music is this like slow, pulsing, ominous, like a horror type thing. And you just hear like gut, like laser shooting. And it just shows a dead guy's face on the floor and blood, his eyes are rolling back in his head and his blood is pouring out of his <laughs> mouth. You know what I mean? And it's spooky. Like, and when you load a mission, if you have to, I think we maybe touched on it, but wherever the the geoscape is with the sun, whether it's night or day, when your ship lands, like it will be night or day in your mission. And if you have to go to a, a terror site, which is we're always the scariest ones because there's monsters everywhere scattered all over. And it was at night with the chrysalids or something. Like even when you could sometimes like it'll say your character sees the chrysalid, it'll be so dark that you can barely make out the guy on the screen, you know, like it was just, it was legitimately scary. And when you do the, the, uh, pass the turn to the aliens, it had this graphic where like everything was black and white except for the blood was all red. And it really like had this high contrast and you'd hear the, the doors opening voot, 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 and then you'd hear the shooting and the screams of everyone dying. Ah! Like, dude, <laughs> that scream is that, so good. It's intense. It's intense, man. Like, for everything that we've kind of talked about, just the kind of stale mechanics or dry mechanic talk, like, this game is is spooky scary, and it Mm -hmm. it gets you hyped up and puts you on edge. And that's why 
in the end, like it stuck with me for so long. Like I, I didn't love it because the mechanic of the, you know, reactive fire was so good. You know what I mean? Like I'm talking about this game 25 years later because of those feelings I got while I was playing this game. And it's, it's one of a kind in that regard. Yeah. So when I was playing it, now I play it on, you know, I've gone both my desktop PC and my laptop, but I was playing it at my partner's place in Seattle. And she made me stop playing it in bed with her because it was too freaky. <laughs> or too, it was too like the screams and stuff where she's yeah. like, no, stop that. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, it's mostly the sound, I think. I mean, the graphics uh, are, well, they are what they They're are. Serviceable. Uh, They're certainly serviceable. Yeah. I, and, I like and, the style. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's good, but it's mostly informative. Uh, and and I feel that the the scary stuff is mostly in the sound. Yeah, the the, the sound of the alien feet on the metal deck. The tink tink mm-hmm. tink mm-hmm. tink. Mm-hmm. Oh. and although I think the lasers coming out of the dark, that's actually pretty scary as well. Just oh like, yeah, like I guess we never said that. Like that sometimes the aliens can see you and you can't see them. So there's just uh-huh. there's a yeah shots coming out of the darkness. The worst moment for me is when you see a plasma shot originate at the opposite side of the map and fly towards your units, and you don't know who it's flying towards or if it's going to hit, and it takes like three seconds to get to your troops. You're just like, is it going to kill some of my guys? Is it going to kill one of my guys? <laughs> yeah. And yes, it did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just hoping they're shooting at the civilians. Like, okay. Yes! <laughs> Hope, what a hero. <laughs> Hoping they're shooting at the civilian. <laughs> You're remembering all the time that your guys missed shooting at a, like an auto shot at a guy six spaces away. Meanwhile, the alien is like shooting across the map and acing your guy in the forehead. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the feeling of relief when you open a door and it's a civilian instead of an alien, which also means there's probably no aliens nearby or they would have killed the civilian. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and I, I think also, like I said before, all the details they also help with the immersion. Like you really feel you're you're there because you're thinking of so many tiny details that you can't help but feel involved because you're yeah, like like what grenades am I carrying? Where do I have them? How many? How much time do I have left? Can I fire my gun? Have I checked all the areas? Maybe there's someone around the court. It's it's quite intense, really. It, it almost yeah. demands so much of your attention, you have to immerse yourself in it. Yeah. And that's kind of cool because most of these turn-based games are a bit distant in a way. They're like, oh yeah, these are my guys. Click, click, click. No problem. But this game, it almost has first-person shooter levels of immersion in a way. I kept thinking, this will be a great one. I can catch up on my podcast while playing it. And 10 minutes in, I'd have to turn the podcast on to focus for a second, and then never remember to turn it back on. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's a really demanding game. So that is cool, though. That is so captivating. And also what keeps you playing until like 4 a.m., <laughs> even though you have things to do. <laughs> you listed a few links in the sound section, uh, Matthew. So the, uh, yeah, I noticed that you put in the graphics VJ slash SVJ question mark. Yeah. And I remembered there's a DOS YouTuber called um, Chris Astic, I think you pronounce his name. Ancient DOS Games yeah. is the series. I know of him. Yeah. Yeah. He did an episode on this. So I looked it up and he says the graphics are VGA 320 by 200, 256 color. Mm-hmm. And um, the music is, there's one sound effect in PC speaker. 
and the rest I think is uh, AdLib. Right. But the links I listed, there's a site, it's for OpenXCOM, but you can just like play them in anything where someone compiled all the different versions of the music. Wow. Because it was on an AdLib, different sound cards would make it sound different, right? They'd have, mm-hmm. they would say, you know, play this drum hit or whatever. Yeah. And that, that would sound different. So someone used, uh, they're called like sound fonts mm-hmm. to replicate that on like a hundred different sound cards. That's cool. May not be a hundred, but you know, a bunch of different sound yeah, cards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then some pointed out that their MT32, like, you know, the, the super famous musician level synthesizer that everyone wrote the music on that no one could afford back in the day. Yeah. Sound terrible. So someone else got a actual hardware, one of those recorded the sound files playing on that. And then compiled that into a looping track, and it sounds amazing played on that thing. Awesome! Uh, I'll I'll definitely have to link to that yep. along with the post because that seems amazing. There's also the PlayStation version up there, and a the original AdLib, mm-hmm. uh, as well as if you go to the I don't think I have the link here, but I can give it to you. If mm. you go to the OpenXCOM website, they also list a bunch of uh, some remixes. Mm-hmm. Where you know someone has come along and it's like, well, the original music's great, but I've been playing this game for four hundred hours. Want something that's same vein but a little bit different? They've got some remixes right. up there. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. It's interesting that you mentioned this PlayStation release because they did one right after they released this game. I mean, the DOS version came out in nineteen ninety four, but the PlayStation one is right after in ninety five. Which I don't think the PlayStation was out for very long by then. Yeah, imagine playing this on a PS1 controller with the D-pad. Yeah, exactly. It definitely came out early because the copy that I have is like one of those tall box mm. pl- uh, plastic jewel cases or whatever. And they only had that style very early in the PlayStation's life. So I think you're pretty right about that. It is mouse compatible, though. Oh! So. You can plug in a mouse into the PlayStation. I've heard of that. Yeah, there is a PlayStation mouse that you can buy. Mm-hmm. Did you? So is that how you played it with the PlayStation mouse? Uh, well, I've only played it a little bit. I only bought it recently because uh, I'm trying to start a stupid budding YouTube channel. And one of my uh, things that I've always been interested in is I want to play uh, the console ports of my favorite PC games. Oh, cool. So I bought it and I, and I bought the mouse uh, in preparation for that. And I did play it with the mouse for a little bit. And to be honest, I don't think I've ever seen a more faithful port. Like it runs kind of slow. Uh, the load times were pretty bad, mm-hmm. but uh, the game is virtually identical. Yeah. Uh, so that was pretty cool. I read that the graphics are actually the same uh, as the DOS version. Yeah. But the um, the music is uh, is much better. Oh, oh, well, better. I. I Maybe not the term to use, but instead of the uh, the synthesized sounds that you mentioned, at uh, Matthew, the ad lib stuff, um, they put CD quality music on the PlayStation version, and I I think it was even by a different composer, which is kind of weird. Uh, it was by Alistair Brimble, who also did uh, Terror from the Deep. So uh, yeah, they had someone else come in and do CD quality music for the PlayStation version. So. A weird thing that I just happen to know is the font they use in the PlayStation version is different. Huh. I only know that because there was a mod, one of the earliest OpenXCOM mods to come out, was to replace the font in OpenXCOM with the one from the PlayStation version. Ah. Hmm. Interesting. 
There were some more ports of this game. Uh, they made one for the Amiga. They made that themselves. It was actually made by uh, Julian's brother, Nick. So, uh, yeah, Nick Gollop, he made the Amiga port of this game, which came out more or less the same time as the, the DOS version. And they also made a version for the Amiga CD32, which is this weird uh, CD-based console that's based on Amiga hardware and was a massive flop, I think. Um, we talked about the PlayStation version, but it was it was actually re-released several times, also on on Steam and and GOG and stuff like that. So, and but also I I, I saw different bundles of this game. They they kept bundling it differently. Like they made a the when the first three games came out, I think they made one bundle which included the three original games, and then later other bundles with all the XComs as well. So. Yeah, they just kept re-releasing this game over and over, it seems. They can't have too many of one of the best games in the world, so... No, no, definitely. Uh, apparently that did make it super hard early on, though, because people have been... There's so many bugs in this that people have been writing patches and improvements since, like, almost the DOS era. Mm -hmm. You know, these are all old-school binary patching-type things, so you'd have to, like, sit, you know... Okay, so this works on the DOS version, because most people have that. If you have the Windows version, you have to do this, this, and this first. <laughs> yeah, all these re-releases don't make it easier <laughs> for these patches to be compatible, I imagine. What's kind of interesting is that the game was released on floppy disks, but a year later, in 1995, they did release it on CD-ROM, and they removed the copy production, hmm. since it wasn't needed, because nobody could copy a CD. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I remember that era, vaguely. Yeah, so, yeah, that's fun. That's uh, that's always fun when they do that. Maybe it's interesting to mention Terror of the Deep quickly, which is the first sequel uh, used the same engine. Yep. Uh, I think I think you wrote this, Matthew, in the in our little notes document that it was insanely hard. I by reputation, I only played it a little, and my experience was, I mean, remember, I was just figuring out playing on a demo. You'd do the mission, you'd kill all but one alien. And then it would get stuck in a one-by-run room where you just couldn't find it anywhere on the map. Mm. And I looked it up, and apparently, yes, they wanted to like make the sequel bigger and better. Right. So they right. Uh, made the maps more complicated, and the primitive AI they used back then couldn't handle it, so it just kind of get lost. Because it, it, apparently the algorithm they used, they couldn't use the same ones they do today because they're too computationally expensive for a 386. So they used one that couldn't always find the solution if the path was complicated enough. Right. And they figured that, you know, with, okay, that happens occasionally. You have an alien just freeze, but it shouldn't happen too much. And yeah, for the original, it was fine. But Terror from the Deep, it was just the maps, especially the uh, the dockyard maps were just too complicated mm -hmm. and had too many small rooms. And apparently, by reputation, because of that bug, which made everything in the first game easy, mm -hmm. Uh, they cranked up the. They didn't realize that bug was there. Right. So they heard from everybody that yeah, this is really easy, and so it's like, well, okay, if you if you say so, <laughs> we can make it harder. Actually, there were some fundamental differences as well. That, for example, all of the missions were way longer because all of the bases, uh, the some of the terror missions, and you had also artifact missions. They were all made the same way as the last mission of XCOM. So you have like two stage uh, mission. So you have to first enter the base, then do something, then exit the base. Oh, cool! Also, the aliens basically from the beginning until the end they can one shot you. 
unlike uh, like even if you have the biggest armor basically anybody can one shot your guys lovely and they also capped your tus at 80 whereas in original xcom your guys could be actually quite fast at the end but in the terraform they couldn't mm. so yeah there were a lot of like uh they increased small things bit by bit and uh, yeah they made the game like insanely and there were also a lot of bugs in uh, for example in research tree for example, before you had some object in your uh, stocks, if you researched some different object, then it would completely block you from researching some required stuff. So for example, if you uh, researched some uh, tech too soon, you couldn't get to the latest ship and you couldn't actually even finish the game. Oof. <laughs> I, I, I want to share just briefly my experience. And it's not only the, uh, the tactical part of the game that I think that they made way harder. I remember I installed the game I'm thinking, you know, I've I've beaten XCOM. I'm I know what I'm doing. This should be fine. You have to build your bases in the water instead of on land. And I kind of positioned it somewhere in the Pacific, kind of between the United States and uh, the EU. And then a month went by. I didn't see a single UFO submarine. And then the game is just like everyone has abandoned the XCOM project. You lose. <laughs> like. <laughs> What? So my first game lasted about five minutes of just fast forwarding through the time thing. And I was just like, oh, this this is different. I mean, I had to play like four or five games to figure out a place where I would finally start actually seeing UFOs to even attack. So it's not only the tactical thing they made total bullshit. It's the Geoscape too. Nice. I do find it cool how I, I and I haven't played this as much as you, so maybe you can correct me, but I've heard that it's got more of a Lovecrafting influence than a 90s UFO culture influence. And that's kind of cool for a game from the 90s because Lovecraft and the Deep Ones and whatnot were fairly obscure back then. I mean, even into the early 2000s, it was kind of only geeks that knew about Lovecraft before the current Cthulhu on everything kind of craze. Actually, yeah. actually, the last mission, like this is a bit of a spoiler, but you literally have to kill an alien god, which looks like Cthulhu. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> I'd say I've got to play this now. You guys just were like, you know what? I'll stick to the original for a while yet. But all this being said, actually, I do prefer the Terror from the Deep. What? Because uh, I think graphically it looks quite nicer, and especially the Ufopedia. Like the the graphics are really really cool in there, and uh, like the all of the two D accompanying graphics are way nice, and the music has, is also very atmospheric. Hmm. I really liked actually the Terror from the Deep. Okay. I'll give you that the graphics are really cool and I love the underwater scene and when your guys are wearing their little diving suits and stuff. But I, dude, you couldn't pay me to play Terrors of the Deep over <laughs> XCOM original. Like, just no way. Yeah. I mean, on the, uh, the good front, uh, the bugs, the open XCOM team is, I forget if it's out yet. But they have said they're working on bring, making it compatible with Terror from the Deep, and I believe it is out. I believe it is now available. It is out yet. Yeah. It is out already. I, yeah. The last time I played the Terror from the Deep, I played the Open XCOM. Huh. It's actually way better. So that should fix all of those research bugs and whatnot, at least. Yes. I think it's interesting to mention Open XCOM a little bit more because, well, as as cool as it is to play the original versions, uh, either in DOSBox or, you know, on actual hardware or in inside, you know, the Steam packaged stuff for Windows or whatever. That's just DOSBox. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I think probably the best way to play these games 
is is by using this open source re-implementation called Open XCOM, right? Yes. Um, so what what did they actually do? Did they reverse engineer the game, or did they just made it from scratch, or what did they? So they rewrote the entire game in modern programming languages, but it still needs the original game files. So you have to have a legit, mm-hmm. or I suppose it doesn't have to be legit, but an original <laughs> copy. Yeah. And it copies all the graphics and sounds and whatnot out of that. Right. But yeah, they went through the data files because people had been data mining the files for years and figuring out how they worked. So they then could use those to establish, make um, rules files. And so in the original, they were all these hyper-compressed binary data files. And when they remade in OpenXCOM, they're just all as text rules, which makes modifying it and whatnot very easy. Mm-hmm. So you can just, instead of having to hack a binary file and change a value, you can just go into this dot rule file or whatever and, you know, say, I want this gun to do 500 times more damage. Right. Or, you know, right. I want to add these new things. So... One of the big things it does is A, it fixes all those known bugs because there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some of the, for at least one of them, there's an option to turn it back on. There's an option turn on the bugs? One, some of them, like some of the ones that actually affect gameplay, right. like the way grenade right. timing works, is it may or may not be a bug or it may be intended. Yeah. And a lot of players apparently prefer it with the old, weird, janky how grenades worked. So they just were like, okay, here's a yeah. checkbox. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, it also removes anything they consider to just be a technical limit rather than a gameplay mechanic. Mm-hmm. So like the fact that you could only, when you're doing a base defense and arming your troops, it only lets you access the first 80 items from a li- the list, which could really screw you if you've got all these guns, but a bunch of stuff that alphabetically or not alphabetically, but like in the game's internal structure yeah. is earlier than it. Your soldiers won't can't use them for some reason. Mm. So they fixed that. They also removed the limit on how many items you could put in one of your ships. Right. You can put as many items as you want in your ship, but now those count against your base's inventory limit. Okay. And little stuff like that, it changed like it so before your planes would always head directly at whatever UFO they were chasing. But it actually did have actual globe mechanics, so that's actually like the worst way to chase something. <laughs> so now the planes will actually use the fastest great circle route. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Um, it like changed how they refuel bay. It's got little tweaks. Uh, it adds a button to the inventory so that like previously in the inventory, there's a button that's like, save me enough time for a single shot, save me enough time for an auto shot, or save me enough time units for a um, aim shot. Mm. They also added one, save me enough time units to crouch. You know, for for me personally, as a first time player, the the biggest improvement in Open XCOM over the original game is simply the tooltips and just to oh yeah, just the the fact that the UI explains a little bit what each button does massively helpful for me. So uh, I could see that, yeah. That alone is really a great reason to check this out. The other great thing is you can uh, reorder your troops in the craft. Mm-hmm. So you can say, put all my high-ranking officers at the back of the craft. Uh, it's got a much easier way of equipping them and de-equipping them in armor, right? as I recall. Stuff like that. Oh, and you can use the mouse's scroll wheel. That's also really helpful. Yeah. Although, yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of used to, to these old DOS games and the fact that they never support the mouse wheel, but... 
yeah, it's kind of nice when it's there. It also um, uh, has translations for a bunch of non-English languages mm-hmm. and full Unicode support. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely cool. Uh, and mods. Yeah, that's always fun. Um, how do you feel about all this? Have you have you even uh, played this, Tyler? I, I imagine you haven't. No. I imagine you're more of uh, an original... I'm a purist, yeah. my friend. I want yeah. to re- relive my uh, childhood experience. <laughs> if I'm going to go play XCOM, I want to do it just the old way. Yeah. And I find it still quite playable today. Uh, I understand when you first said at the very beginning of the podcast, you were like, the interface is bad. It doesn't tell you anything. I wanted, I almost wanted to like fire back. Like the interface is fine. Like well, the interface is completely playable in modern times. When I'm playing it, I never have like a moment of frustration or anything. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's really easy to control, I think. I definitely did have moments of frustration when I was playing it back in DOSBox before OpenXCOM was a thing, where I'd be like, oh, why can why do I have to manually click all the way up and down this inventory screen? Why are there all these weird limits of putting things on the craft? Why can I not see any of my soldiers? Well, not the stats, but like, why? Oh, this person is moving really slowly now. It'd be nice if they told me I was overloading this guy. Yeah. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm just saying it's still serviceable. Like, yeah. But to fair enough, your opinion is just as valid as mine. I would agree on serviceable. I wouldn't use good. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I think in Open XCOM's defense, uh, it's still very much like the original game. I mean, it's definitely improved, but it's not. It's it's not like they've taken it apart completely. It still looks and feels a lot like the original. So I th- I think they did a good job actually in still keeping the original spirit in there, even though uh, it's completely modern inside. Yeah, the only thing that they know they haven't like if you don't turn on any of the options, aside from fixing bugs, if you didn't use any of the new features. It would play identically except for, I believe, as I said, the planes flying slightly differently, the pay mechanics working a tiny bit differently, but if you're not deliberately exploiting them, that won't matter. And the AI, they couldn't get the aliens to behave in exactly the same way Mm. as they weren't able to reverse engineer it. Right, yeah. You know, I I think I agree with you, Tyler, that the old interface, it, it works, but it only works once you've figured it out. Like, if you know how it works, then you can operate it. But if you're a new time player, it's really not so easy. Because all the buttons, they only have these little icons, but they don't have any text. So, yeah. Yeah. What do you click? Yeah, I, I, I totally get it in terms of, you know, if you didn't know what they do, you know, I, with no descriptions, I, I totally get that. Yeah. So, just the tooltips. I mean, come on. I'm just thinking back to like when we played like Warcraft 2 or something and you're just like, I feel like the interface is holding me back. And you know what I mean? Like it's hmm. it's not as good as I remember it. And the game isn't actually fun to play because it's so can be so frustrating sometimes. And then uh, I just feel that this game doesn't suffer from those same issues. Oh, no, it's totally playable in the original. I played it for years in DOSBox. Yeah. Um, the one thing I never figured out from the UI was the, uh, the who outranked whom. Like your rookies and your squaddies and your scout or your sergeants, it makes sense. But like beyond that, they're just these more intricate labels. And I'm like, is a skull better than a squiggly tree thing? 
<laughs> yeah, it's what's up with all the icons? Why not just say what things are? I don't know. I think the icons, they actually, once you learn what they do, yeah. it's like yeah. faster to see what to click on. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. But anyway, I think OpenXCOM is, is kind of a cool option uh, if you want to play this game nowadays, if you want to check it out. Uh, and you still need the original file, so you still need to get it somewhere. But uh, yeah, it's definitely yep. a cool option. And it's it's in active development, isn't it? So uh, there's still updates and stuff coming out for it. It's it just Actually, it's just cool that people are still that much into this game. I don't know how much active development on the original OpenXCOM there is. It hasn't been released in a while. Mm. But, I mean, it's kind of done. The yeah. mod scene yeah. is still very active. And like, there's usually like, one or two mods are coming out or either coming out or updated a week, though most of them are pretty minor. Yeah. There is an open up XCOM Apocalypse project ongoing. I don't know how active it is or if it will be merged in or whatnot. Right. And I believe there is also a version called Open XCOM Extended. Mm-hmm. So Open XCOM really anything you can do in it, you could have theoretically modded into the original game by editing binary files. Open XCOM Extended kind of pushes that and like so you can do stuff you couldn't do in the original with mods. Yeah, this is all venturing more and more away from the original and just adding stuff that's cool. Yeah. Which is fair enough. But still the original graphics and interface and whatnot. It's just like you can put in like one of the mods that uses that is it puts a little flag beside your soldiers. Right. Showing what country they're from. I'm sure Tyler wouldn't agree with any of this. (laughs) (laughs) Blasphemy. Sacrilege. (laughs) The flags destroyed the DOS experience. (laughs) No, no, I'm sure it's great. It sounds like a lot of fun. And I imagine if you didn't have the, uh, you know, nostalgic uh, feelings for it, that I'm sure that's the way to to dip your toe into the water. Yeah. You know, this this game, it has a lot of fans and, and obviously still does have a lot of fans, you know, not only the open XCOM, but also the there's a UFOpedia website, which is uh, this wiki filled with details around the game and everything. And it's been going on for like 10 years or more. Yeah. Well, actually, I think I think it's pretty much since the launch of this game that it has gathered this following and this, this fandom. Uh, because I don't know if you've read any of the magazine scans that um, Richard put up, those Game Club member Richard Picks. He's all he's also been on the podcast a few times. He has these uh, old magazines he keeps around, and he scans them in sometimes and puts them on the on the forums. And he he scanned in some of the uh, of the XCOM ones from PC format, I think. Yeah, that's the one he probably had a subscription to, or PC Zone. I don't know which one. These are from actually, but either way, the the reviews are absolutely great. So uh, yeah, I think people were really, really into this game right from the start. Yeah, this is not a hidden gem. No, this is exactly that's <laughs> that's really what I was trying to say. So so I just checked the oldest edit on the front page of the XCOM wiki goes back to two thousand and five. But I think there was a website there before it was a wiki. Right. Yeah, that's insane. So. <laughs> if you want to try out this game new for the first time, it basically you can use it as a manual to actually understand the interface and what's going on for either the DOS version or OpenXCOM. They cover both. Cool. I'm looking at the. I wish I, I wish I knew what magazine this was. Uh, I'm looking at one of the scans now. Yeah, this is PC Zone. I hate to interrupt here, but I am running out of time. I have personally like. 
just a few more minutes, man, before I gotta head out. That's fair enough. I, have- um, I think I think I think we can just uh, just saying some final words from you, and then uh, yeah, then we can just finish this properly. Yeah, as long as we can just do the uh, reflection and conclusion here, and I'll just say my final words. Like, does it hold up? Do you think this game holds up, Tyler? <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't been able to tell from everything that I've said about it so far, yes, yes. If you're a fan, like, this is not one that you should play if you're a fan of video game history and you want to just, like, learn where things came from kind of thing. Like, this is a game that you can go play if you just want a solid, interesting, scary, turn-based strategy game to play. Like, it's, it's still good. I'd argue the fans of video game history should also play it, but it's just good. It's a good way of putting it. Well, yeah, I'm not. I guess we used it before, like for uh, talking about some other games. Like, would you recommend this game? And it was the whole like, if if you wanted to like learn about the history kind of thing, Mm -hmm. like, yes, I would recommend this game. So I'm not saying you shouldn't play it if you're, you know, (laughs) only interested in the history. But I'm saying there's more reasons to play it than just you know to to learn about it. Yeah. It's just a legit good game, period. Yep. So, And with that, boys, thank you for having me on the podcast. I had a ton of fun. It was really nice meeting and talking with you two guys uh, that I haven't met before. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of the podcast. Thanks again for having me on. Thank you. No problem. All right. Hopefully we'll get to do it again sometime. Definitely. Adios. Bye. Yeah, I think we've covered most of the things we wanted. You're pretty much at the end of the notes. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's just obvious. This game is just a massive hit right from the get-go, and it still has tons and tons of fans and people interested. So, Oh, I wanted to say, it's not so much the series is still going, but that it's been brought back. Hmm. Right, that's a good point. So it was pretty much dead they they created some sequels. There was like they were trying to do a first person shooter. They did a flight sim of all things. Okay, um, but it basically died. And then a few years ago, they announced they were coming out with an XCOM first person shooter, and the reaction to that was so negative. Mm-hmm. And people were like, "We've been waiting years for a sequel." That the company that may can't raise that. Oh, people actually want this back mm. and brought out a very apparently very good but very different tactical strategy game with like nice modern graphics that was a huge hit. Mm-hmm. And then it just got a sequel like last year. Yeah. Uh, and the, fir- the first-person shooter became a third-person shooter and came out as XCOM The Bureau and was trash. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. no one noticed because they got the game they wanted. Exactly. So no, it was the fan reaction to that first-person or that shooter that brought the series back, which is kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's cool that, well, I think often these these large um, corporations, they think, oh yeah, people want first-person shooters. But actually, I mean, it's the, 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 the tactical turn-based combat that's really much more interesting. And uh, so it's cool that this was also voiced in the fan reaction and actually led to... Uh, to a game that's more like the original, even though it might not be exactly the same and not as deep and not as, you know, but still. In hindsight, it's also kind of weird that they were trying to make this because like the first three games were, like the first two were successes, third one, I'm not so sure. Mm. But then every time they made some different genre, it was a flop. So what were they thinking? Like, like yeah, 
as long as it was a turn-based strategy, it worked. And now, like, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, the first-person shooter never came out, mm. and the flight sim was apparently utter garbage. Yeah. Uh, to the point, it was it was the worst. <laughs> yeah. So it may not be that if it had been a good flight sim, maybe it would have been successful. Who knows? Yeah. I kind of doubt it. Yeah. It's it's kind of weird they tried different genres, even though they had one that worked. I mean, why? There seems to have been a thing that after the 90s, people were like, no one wants to play these super complicated technical games anymore. Mm. It like seems there was a pushback towards simple to making games accessible for everyone. And now it's kind of going that, you know, we can have simple and accessible games and we can have complicated games. And with modern like understanding of user interface, maybe these complicated games don't have to be quite so hard to get into. Yeah, that's a good point. So, yeah, gaming did change massively after the nineties. Uh, maybe it started in the late nineties already, but it blew up massively. And uh, yeah, with the new audience, I think you're right that there was a big push for simpler games. And it changed a bit with Apocalypse because in Apocalypse you can actually play the game in two modes. There is a real-time and the turn-based mode. Hmm. So at the beginning of the mission, you choose which one you want to play. And uh, so they already tried to, like, I would say, modernize the game because it's possible that at that time the turn-based um, games kind of went a bit out of fashion. Yeah. Like in the late 90s. What's very cool to me is the success of the new XCOM, XCOM without a hyphen, brought in a wave of turn-based games using similar mechanics. Yeah. There's even a Mario one, right? Yes. Mario versus Rabbids or whatever. It's like a Nintendo Ubisoft thing. Uh-huh. Uh, apparently, Luigi is the best with the sniper rifle in it, from what I hear. <laughs> That's crazy. I haven't played it. but No, I haven't played it either. Uh, there's also one that I love called Hard West, okay. which is apparently heavily inspired by it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a cool genre, and uh, yeah, it's cool that it's that it's made this comeback because it would have been sad if this stuff had been lost, you know. Because uh, obviously, it's it's really enticing and and uh, good for hours of fun. So, not every game has to be a shooter, after all. <laughs> I have uh, just one funny thing is that I read a review in a Czech magazine, and so it got the score was about seventy percent, so it was like. Uh, the actual review is very positive. I don't know why they nicked it. Like 30 points still, it's a, it's a bit a lot. But the interesting thing is that one thing they criticize is that the game is very buggy. Sometimes it's uh, like your screen will fill with random characters. Oh. But they mentioned that a patch is already like in circulation and it's like freely shareable. Mm-hmm. So it was basically a game kind of modern to uh, to its time that it had like a zero day patch basically. <laughs> Wow, I, yeah. I did hear a rumor that part of the... I, I don't know if this is true, but apparently that they may have patched the difficulty issue, but because it was 1994, very few people had the internet, so they didn't know the patch was available. Yeah. Getting, getting patches out was definitely very difficult in the early 90s. We've talked about this before in other episodes, that basically games just had to work right from the get-go because the chance of people getting a patch was almost almost nothing. So, yeah, this is just how it was. And in that regard, I mean, this game is even sort of a later DOS game. I mean, I, I think it was even worse in the 80s when there weren't even bulletin boards. And, yeah, there was just basically nothing. So, uh, yeah, that that's different now. So at least at least that's improved with, with Steam and stuff. But I also find it very cool that 
even before UFOpedia, or sorry, not before OpenXCOM, there's like a listing of all the old fan-made patches for this game to fix various bugs. Oh, that is cool. So yeah, even if that's... you want to play the DOS version, you can still look these things up and get them. It's called, um, I want to say it's called XCOM Util or something like that. Okay. And it will fix a bunch of the bugs and even like some of the features and mods that OpenXCOM has were taken from this patch for the DOS version. Ah, well, that's a testament just to how many fans this game has, really. I yeah, mean, that there, there, and there's a whole history. It's like they document because this site's been around for a while. Here's all the old patches and old utilities if you want to do it the old school way. That's cool. Yeah, that's very cool. So, yeah, yeah, I think what Tyler also said, I mean, uh, it's obvious that this game holds up and yep. uh, we totally recommend you playing it. And I, I was really into it as well. And I'll, I'll totally keep on playing it even now that the month is over and we've, we've moved on to other games. I'll, this is just one of my go-to DOS games now because, yeah, yep. it's just awesome. Uh, so I listed in, the, in our notes here, and I hope you and put them up on the uh, website, oh, yeah? some resources oh, yeah. for if you want to get started playing. Mm-hmm. So UFOpedia would be the one because, you know, you don't get a manual anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's available on both Steam and GOG to buy, mm-hmm. uh, and also I linked to the Ancient DOS Games video where he explains what settings you want to use in DOSBox if you want to play the original, right. and of course yeah. OpenXCOM. Definitely, I'll put links to all those things up with the post, and then people can just figure out what works for them. And and uh, yeah, yeah, it's not whether you should play the game; it's which version do you want to. Play. <laughs> How do you want to play it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so yeah. That's XCOM, I, I, I suppose. Uh, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for, for being here. Super awesome that you wanted to, to join and, and explain this game a little bit because uh, I think it's definitely worth a, a look. This one specifically. I mean, a lot of the games we cover are, are kind of cool, but this one is really cool. Well, so. the forum seemed very friendly and I saw you you tweeted or mentioned it. No, you mentioned the last episode. You were looking for someone to come on this one and I was like, oh my goodness. I've been listening to this podcast <laughs> yeah. since like episode six or something like that. Cool, man. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. Of course, no problem at all. And and we're always happy when, when people want to join and, and come on and talk about their favorite games because that's the whole thing, to share the love for these old DOS games. That's, uh, yeah, super cool. Just a few final things I want to mention. Uh, if, if you're really into this DOS game stuff uh, as much as we are, then you can head over to dosgameclub.com, which is our website. And we have uh, forums there where, where you can talk about the games. Uh, there's a suggestion forum where you can put in suggestions and then maybe we'll, we'll pick them for future episodes. We also have an IRC chat box, which you can access also through the website. So you can talk to us directly there. You can also follow us on Twitter, where we're called DOS Game Club. And that's uh, another way we just use to get the word out and talk with fans of DOS game stuff. And if you're listening to this on a podcasting app, then we really would appreciate it if you uh, left a review and subscribe and all that stuff. Uh, really helps to get the word out and to get this show uh, known to other people who might be into it as well. So, yeah, I think that's all. Uh, what game are we playing in September? Yeah, very good. That's the last thing that we want to talk about. Uh, it's it's mid-September right now. I hope to get this episode, uh, episode out as quickly as possible. So me, we might still be playing Sit Mice Pirates, which is our September game. And yeah, I just love that game. It's another microprose game. And 
Yeah, it's just super awesome. I spent uh, a huge portion of my childhood playing this. So uh, I, I bought that on, because I had Sid Meier's name ago, I bought that on Steam years ago and just couldn't figure out how to get into it. But I saw on the forums, mm-hmm. there's a beginner's guide. So I'm th- mm-hmm. if I've got some time left in September, I've been pretty busy in early September. I'm hoping to sit down and actually finally figure out how to play. So I was, yeah. I'm really glad to whoever posted that beginner's guide on the forum. It's really nice, and uh, I there's there's different version of uh, versions of this game. The original '87 one is, in my opinion, really accessible and and just fun to check out. But there's also a '93 remake, which has better graphics and better sound and mouse support. I think that's what I have. Yeah, you can play that one as well. Uh, it's it's essentially the same game, just better presentation. Yeah, and there's more modern remakes as well. Uh, there's even iPad version, I think. So, hmm. yeah, there's all sorts. It's same same thing with XCOM, really. It's just there's a modern 3D version and everything. But yeah, I if it's possible, I think it's it's fun to check out the original. Uh, and then after that, in October, we'll be playing the seventh guest, which is uh, oh wow, yeah, that's a that's one of those full motion video games. I think like uh, adventure point and click adventure game with videos and and hey, we haven't had one of those yet no 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 and it was a big genre uh, in the 90s when all these cd-rom stuff came out so they were just looking for ways to fill the discs and well obviously video is one way to uh to do it so uh yeah it's an interesting genre so yeah that's what's coming up in the uh, this month and the month after um there's still a little bit debate going on over if we're going to play Planet X3 in November or maybe pick another game because they're, well, I've been talking to Florian about it and he's not a big fan and rather play something else. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that on the forums and see what we'll do. But uh, what, what's definitely solid is that we're playing Pirates now and we're playing Seventh Guest in October. So uh, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, that's it. that's it from us, I think. Uh, th- I've got to say it's hilarious you put pirates in September. Yeah, it's because of the of the talk like a pirate day, right? Yeah, <laughs> that was two days ago, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> we played uh, Monkey Island last year in September. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've run out of pirate games now. So, <laughs> oh well. There is an XCOM version called Pirates. What? Yeah, but that one you may not X Pirates. <laughs> uh, oh man! Yeah, unfortunately. I've heard it's got really interesting mechanics, but whoever created it really likes looking at topless women. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah. a bit crass. Okay, so, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's got yeah. some... I certainly... So this one I played a bunch on a bus. I certainly could not play Axe Pirates on a bus. <laughs> Which is kind of yeah. self-limiting. Like, sure, you might like looking at topless women, but it means I can't... It's much harder to get my partner interested in playing with me. I can't play it in public. <sighs> yeah, but these are... Yeah. 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 Let's not let's not do this game. <laughs> but yeah, we'll see what we'll uh, what we'll have in uh, in November and onwards. So uh, so yeah, I I just suggest uh, to uh, to follow us either on Twitter or our website uh, and chat with us and just see what we're up to. So uh, yeah, thanks for listening and see you all next time. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. You. Bye. Bye. Thank you for having me. No problem. Dance, 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 d